A good Monday morning to you on this November the 8th. You're tuned into Real Talk. We have an amazing show in store. I'm very much looking forward to it. We have a lot to talk about, including this right out of the gates. How cool is this? Uh, everybody's talking about Eric Adams, the mayor elect in New York City. Check this out. Uh, tweeting just a couple of days ago. I wanted to put this on your radar right out of the gates here. In New York, we always go big. So I'm going to take my first three paychecks in Bitcoin when I become mayor. Says NYC is going to be the center of the cryptocurrency industry and other fast growing innovative industries. Just wait. That's the mayor elect in the Big Apple. Eric Adams tweeting this in response to Miami's mayor taking a paycheck in Bitcoin. Tampa Bay also joining the party. As my pal Chivers says about Bitcoin, slowly, then suddenly. If you want to learn more about what we're talking about, I highly recommend the trustworthy team at Bitcoin Well, our presenting sponsors. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk to the star of a sold-out production. Uh, this is one I know that people are talking about across Canada because it's not every day, I don't think, that a premier or a provincial politician inspires a sold-out theatrical production. But that's exactly the case with this uh, brand-new show, Hot Boy Summer. Uh, Jason Kenney, the star of it. Donovan Workin, the actor playing Jason Kenny, is going to join us in a few minutes. It was amazing. The minute that tickets went on sale here, it's put together by Grindstone Theater here in our hometown of Edmonton. It was sold out like right away. We announced that Donovan was going to join us and yesterday late afternoon into the evening. And, and we saw people starting to chime in. Real talkers from other jurisdictions. I saw one in particular was like, you got to bring this down to Calgary. He's like, we're trying to do it. We're trying to. I think they're they're trying to make more shows available. Huge demand. What does that say, man? We're going to look into that. And plus, an interesting uh, opportunity a little bit later on in this broadcast, I guess coming up in about 40 minutes time, uh, to welcome back to the program OBGYN Dr. Fiona Matatal, who's been on before, and Amy Langer, uh, a health researcher out of the University of Calgary. Hoyles, I'm going to ask you to sort of, I mean, I think that people have kind of heard of uh, what, you know, HPV, and uh, pe people have heard about this this vaccine, but if if I'm being honest with you, I know just like a, a tiny little bit. I know there's some controversy over whether high school girls should have access to it or something like that. But truth be told, probably about 50% of the population doesn't know a whole ton about this, but some really new exciting research. And, and we're learning some things about the link between HPV and cancer. Yeah, I mean, you can look back at, what was it, about seven years ago with Michael Douglas, and he came out saying that he had cancer uh, of the throat, which he, he healed from, he recovered, but it was linked to HPV. And it actually turns out that HPV causes lots of cases of exactly that, mouth and throat cancer in men. Okay. They are the ones that are impacted probably the most highly, but you know, Dr. Fiona will be able to give us get into it the full spectrum of it. But really, there's this there's this direct link of HPV in women. Yeah, it's because of oral sex ah, is what it is. OK. And they are that it transmits and then it affects men. Human 
papilloma virus. That's the one. So we're going to learn. I gonna like the real talk on this is I don't know very much about this. And well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. It. It's why we're talking about it. I love it. We're also going to meet snowboarder Spencer O'Brien. She's the subject of a, of a new film. It just premiered. It's world premiere at the Banff Mountain Film Festival. Cassie DeCalling, the filmmaker behind Precious Leader Women. We're going to talk about uh, Spencer's pro snowboarding career, her time representing Canada at the Olympics, some of the challenges she's been facing, how her indigenous ancestry is helping her manage an arthritis diagnosis, which is a fast. I have no idea where that's going. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, what I find so interesting about it is that she really didn't access her or look or really dive into her indigenous ancestry um, in her career. And it actually kind of pulled her away from it. And then it's only kind of through rheumatoid arthritis and beyond. I mean, she'll tell us more wow, about it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Fascinating show. Uh, oh, and also over the weekend, there was this moment. Uh, it was it, it was only about two and a half seconds, but it will go down in history. And this is going to get a little bit regional. No, it's not going to get regional. I think people around the world are probably watching the highlight of Connor McDavid against the New York Rangers. You're going to say, uh, hang on a second. Hockey's a team sport. Don't you mean the Edmonton Oilers? No, in this case, I mean, Connor McDavid against the New York Rangers, uh, myself and I don't know, about 16,000 other people were lucky enough to be there to witness in my mind one of the greatest, most dominant moments in Connor's relatively young career, one of the greatest goals, not just that I think I've ever witnessed, but one of the greatest goals that I've ever seen scored in real life or on TV in National Hockey League history. The internet exploded after 97 did this. Here's the video courtesy of Sportsnet called by my good buddy Jack Michaels. Rangers having trouble changing here. McDavid, beautiful move. What can you say? What can you say? Well, I mean, it turns out that people had a lot to say about this, but I understand what Jack Michaels is getting at there because it was a mind-blowing moment. Let me set the table here. Let me set the scene. All of the old school Oilers were in the house, most of them anyway. 99 sent his regrets. Grant Fear sent his regrets. But for the most part, you had the dynasty team in attendance to commemorate the great career of former Oiler, former Ranger Kevin Lowe, the number four going up to the rafters, joining all of the other Hall of Famers up there. So the ceremony starts at like 5.45 p.m. on Friday night. Fans are in their seats early. Kevin Lowe's talking about his career. People are there to celebrate him. Mark Messier's there, and Craig Simpson is hosting the thing, doing a great job there. I mean, all of these Stanley Cup champions, Paul Coffey's in the house, and Yari Curry's there. And I mean, it's just unbelievable right and so so Oilers fans are, are sort of reflecting back on the glory years and and the present day team is there in attendance on the bench they're there watching the ceremony happen now we were rumbling those of us in the stands wondering is this actually bad for the players is it bad that they've got to sit on the bench like I mean Hockey players and athletes writ large are notoriously superstitious and they have their routines pregame. I mean, I mean, like when they wake up, when they nap, how they tape their stick, what sock they put on first, which foot, which boot they lace up first on their skates. I mean, it's really this hockey players are notoriously superstitious. So what does this do to their routine to sit on the bench ahead of time? But good for them to see also the the camaraderie and the reflections. And at one point, Kevin Lowe actually looked back and spoke to the team uh, and 
and, and talk to them about his perspective as a Stanley Cup champion and a Hall of Famer and what was important to him about his playing career decades later. And so we're going, okay, well, maybe that's a good thing. Long story short, game starts and what do you know? The home team's down early. 4-1 to the New York Rangers. It's not looking good. And then, as rumor has it, Leon Dreisaitl, as reported by a good friend of mine, Reed Wilkins, who does a great job on the radio talking about the Edmonton Oilers, as rumor would have it, Reed Wilkins reports that Leon Dreisaitl, down 4-1, this is Tyson Berry who says this, the point of game power play quarterback for the Oilers, says that Dreisaitl skated by one of the New York Rangers and said something along the lines of, hold on, it's coming. And then, 4-2. And then, the Oilers start to close the gap, 4-3. And then all of a sudden, people start to wonder, could this be Friday night magic? Could this be the type of situation where the home team goes down early but says, we will not lose under this Kevin Lowe number four banner. We will not lose in front of these dynasty Oilers. We will not lose this game. A franchise record up for grabs. Never before in its first 10 games has this team seen nine wins. And then... Sam, if you wouldn't mind just teeing it up one more time, I want to watch it for the 177th time. Down 5-4 with two and a half minutes left in the third period. 97 sees the Rangers trying to change. They're tired. And it doesn't matter that there's four players between him and that goaltender. He decides he sees an opening and like nobody else in the National Hockey League can do. He, he, he does this. Let's just see it one more time. Oilers got the matchup they wanted. Rangers having trouble changing here. Absolutely wild stuff. And of course, the humility that you typically see from Connor McDavid on full display as he took reporters questions after the game. Now, I want you to listen to what he had to say. And I recognize that all of the super fans have already seen all this stuff. And I also guarantee that none of you care that we're taking a look at it again, because it's all that anybody's been focusing on this weekend. I mean, aside from my comments on Friday about Alberta's premier. But other than that, it's all anybody's been focusing on this weekend. I want you to listen to what Connor says when asked about the goal, but also the ambient noise behind him. That That's oil country you're about to hear. You know, I, I'm, I'm paid to score big goals and I'm paid to, to, to do that type of stuff. And you know, it's just, you know, just doing my job. Um, you know, I thought uh, probably not the best idea to take four guys on all, all you know, every night. But, you know, when the, um, I thought it just the situation kind of was weird. You know, everyone was kind of coming up. I was kind of coming down the, the pipe and just tried to make a play. Yeah, yeah. MVP is right. Unbelievable stuff. So those people are going to say oil country might be getting a little bit ahead of itself right now. I mean, it was a playoff vibe in there. I mean, there's if if this doesn't turn into something major, if this doesn't turn into a Stanley Cup championship, I know that a lot of people are going to are going to sit and look at this and say, oh, my gosh, did the team peak too early or, oh, my gosh, we need to figure out a way to make this happen in the third round or the fourth round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But for now, for now, the assignment is to simply enjoy it. Live in the moment. People. Just live, live in, in the, the moment. moment. Just live in the moment. Let this magic moment happen. The National Hockey League. I mean, there were thousands of tweets. This was all over Instagram and TikTok. The National Hockey League pushed this video out, which is amazing. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I mean, how do I even describe it? You can see in person, this is four different views, four different angles of what the goal, capital T, capital G, looked like. 
There was one, the highlight put to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. We'd love to play it for you. We guarantee chills on a Monday morning, but it would certainly trigger algorithms and probably prompt YouTube to kick us off the internet. So we're not going to play that Celine Dion song, but what we can do is show you this amazing video. This is one of my favorites. This is Mario Brothers, Connor McDavid version. Hockey fans are having fun with this McDavid highlight, which I think the timing is nice as well. It's 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 been a really difficult couple of weeks for the hockey world as as fans and as executives and as players have reflected on some of the hard truths about the sport. The Chicago Blackhawks story, the courageous story of Kyle Beach is what we spent last week talking about, didn't we? An amazing conversation with Tara Sloan. Sheldon Kennedy joined us. If you missed that interview you have to listen to it we detailed it both in our real talk sunday message both of those uh, interviews uh, that email by the way free to subscribe to of course you just go to our website ryanjesperson.com it's right at the bottom of the page so you can let me know what you think sarah i promise you i wouldn't talk about this for more than 12 minutes i believe i've run it right up the clock i could say so much more could you i could say so much more let me say and i tweeted this over the weekend (laughs) I mean, I like I got home pretty late on Friday night because you were there. I just I, I just it was the street. The city was alive. There are very few things in life where you can walk up to somebody that you know or somebody that you don't know on the street and just go right or what? And everybody just knows what you're talking about. Most days just walking up to what someone would go like, what are you talking about? Is there a hidden camera? What are you doing? Leave me alone. This was like completely different. And so I just was really excited. I mean, Deborah says Sarah McLaughlin singing the anthems was fantastic. Trisha says I watched Gretzky. Now I watch this. Damn, I'm lucky. Love that. Mark B and SLC is talking about Utah football right now. That's okay. That's okay. So we're starting off the week on the right foot. Let me just say that. You can let me know what you think about this. Hoyles has told me, not really, that I'm not allowed to just show the highlights again for positive reflections coming up later on in the show. I had to lay it down. You had to lay down the law. I did. This is my foot. I'm putting it down. You're keeping the show focused, (laughs) which is why you're here, my friend. And sometimes that's a tougher assignment than other days. Uh, But regardless, unbelievable, unbelievable. I, um, I, I'm, I'm honestly just uh, Lala's as right now says, I love the real talk. We can, we can talk real, uh, says Jesperson should have never stepped away from his Rogers place gig. Um, let me tell you something, my friend, if I was still the in-game host of the Edmonton Oilers, I would not have been five beers deep sitting next to one of my best friends in the world in the greatest seats, having just finished up a pork tenderloin, watching 97 score, and then partying my face off for the entire rest of the night. I would have been working and I've never been happier. But thank you very much for reminding me of those fabulous six seasons with the team. Dwayne says, I recall how amazing Wayne Gretzky was. Connor McDavid is leaning that way. People are, you're looking at me because you're like, I thought you said you were rapping. Yeah, I thought we were moving on from this. People are starting to already <laughs> debate. And this is, I don't know who, like, Sam, I know that, like, you're a huge CFL fan and big sports fan. I know you're a big NBA fan, Hoyles. Like, I, don't, I think that the comparison would be 
probably, if I can, it would have been like early in LeBron's career mm. before he had his first title. Okay. And some people saying he might be the most dominant of all time. And other people saying, give your head a shake. Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan are the t- like, don't even you're you're, you're nuts. That's never going to happen. Jordan is the goat, the greatest of all time. It's never. And, and, and then people would say, OK, we're not necessarily talking about career achievements or accomplishments. Because if you look outside the points, which is obviously a huge thing to say, if you just look outside the points, well, <laughs> Isn't that I, th- the that's point? kind of the, that's kind of the whole point. But if you look at it, I mean, there are people that won more Stanley Cups than Gretzky. But how do you characterize Gretzky as the greatest of all time? He was just absolutely dominant. He's got mm-hmm. more career assists than anybody else has career points. I mean, he a wild career. So you can't say that McDavid's career stacks up to Gretzky's yet. And, and no one's breaking Gretzky's points records. But with regards to the absolute dominance and how much better he is i mean i saw somebody say over the weekend Connor mcdavid would have scored five points a game in the gretzky era he's that dominant he's Mm. that fast he just does what he wants i don't know i love there's lots of room for these kind of debates i just have something that's been like kind of like eating at me let's get into it is you're from calgary Mm -hmm. so eating at you what about me (laughs) Because like on that night, I was walking outside. I was getting out of my car, and there was a guy with a uh, Flames jersey on with pizzas. And I was like, "Dude, you cannot wear that in this city." Yeah, you like it's take, gutsy. It's a gutsy move. Take that off. It's a gutsy move. And he, I said, "I'm gonna have to take one of those pizzas from you." I'm sorry. Did you? It's a tax. Did, did it work out? Did the tax? Did he? Did they pay the tax? He didn't. He okay. walked inside the well, house that's, and that's, smirked. That's that's weird. But I just I find it interesting as a. Calgarian, yeah, that you, yeah, are such. People would always say to me, and 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 obviously because I've lived in the city for fifteen years, and I worked for the team for seven years for six seasons, and uh, people would always say, I mean, how do you reconcile it? You don't just flip flop, especially on things like the Battle of Alberta. It's maybe one thing to be like, I grew up a San Jose Sharks fan, but then I moved to you know Boston, so I'm a Bruins fan. Actually, that's a terrible example because of Joe Thornton. Um, I think that Sharks fans are probably love Bruins fans. Bruins fans probably hate Sharks fans. But let me find a, be- a more benign example. Uh, you know, I grew up a you know I grew up like a Buffalo Sabers fan, and then I moved to Anaheim with my family, so we're ducks. And everyone would be like, "Yeah, who cares?" But to say you grew up in Calgary as a Flames fan, hating the Oilers, and then now you you know you're pretty jazzed about the Oilers current team, and you're raising I'm raising my kid as an Oilers fan in Edmonton. Um, on one hand, it's very difficult to reconcile. And I would also suggest, and this is what I say to people very quickly, very quickly it ends the conversation I find. Connor McDavid grew up a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And who do you think that Connor McDavid wants to win the Stanley Cup right now? So when I worked for the team, it just changed things for me, right? It was different. And so I felt like I was drafted. I was called into that organization. <laughs> and it's always going to be really special. But it is a diff- it's, a, it's a weird one to reconcile. And I think I'd be on a very short list, right? It's like, you know, Jerome McGinley, was born and raised in Edmonton, St. Albert, and then is one of the greatest Calgary Flames of all time. So, you know, there there are and you're going people are going to say Jesperson literally in the last two sentences has just compared himself to Connor McDavid and Jerome McGinley. Not what I'm trying to do. Obviously. Not what I'm trying I to mean, do. I mean, how about the how about the Oilers two assistant coaches right now, Glenn Gullitson and Jim Playfair are both both former head coaches of the Calgary Flames. How wild is that? And the Flames and the Oilers, by the way, one and two in their division right now. The Flames are supposed to stink this year. Although Jen says she could listen to hockey talk all morning. (laughs) I've now not broken my promise to Sarah. I've shattered it. 
I believe we're now at 16 minutes. How can I trust you? Kim says, okay, Ryan, with like six Ys, I love you, but stop, please. Fine. Fine. I'll move on. Can we give a shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers? I love this tweet. When real talkers are supporting the brands that support us, it means a lot. And I love this one that I saw yesterday. Make sure you tag me in all of these. Let us know what's going on when you visit our partners like the team at Friesen Brothers. A shout out to J.D. Allen, who took these photos of the Friesen Brothers Saint, uh, pardon me, the Stony Plain store. And uh, says, in a time where most retailers have switched to Christmas, Friesen Brothers has dedicated not one, but two prime merchandising areas to Remembrance Day for an entire week. JD says, I love this place, lest we forget Stony Plain. That's amazing. That's the front entrance you're seeing there. They have the the, the poppies, the crosses, Flanders Fields right under the... That's a that's an amazing archive photo of Frank Loveson, the founder of Friesen Brothers. And there you have it again. I was lucky enough to have lunch with Doug Loveson, the president of the company, probably about a month ago. And Doug told me this was coming. He talked to me about how important the serious stuff is to the team at Friesen Brothers, including the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, Remembrance Day. This is a family-owned business that walks the talk and there are many reasons why i'm proud to partner with friesen brothers this is one of them you can find him in 16 alberta communities you can find him online at friesen.com f-r-e-s-o-n.com alberta grown and alberta owned also big shout out to our friends at saint albert and sherwood dodge i was talking to a buddy over the weekend cam has been in conversation with the team at saint albert dodge cam was lucky enough everyone's smiling right now you're about to stop you're about to be aghast for a second cam just survived hitting a moose with his Ram 1500 out of nowhere. He's on his way to Grand Prairie. Um, All of a sudden, there's a moose in front of him. Rode off his truck, lucky to be alive. I mean, he showed, I almost, I got, almost got, he's a good friend of mine. I almost got emotional when I saw his truck. The pictures are wild. I'm not going to show him on the show. Anyway, got him in touch. He's a working guy, needs his truck. Got him in touch with Brad and the team at St. Albert Dodge. They're already getting him into a new one as soon as they can make it happen. He just told me that he was happy with the customer service. I'm telling you, this is a real life testimonial. Uh, Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, best selection in Alberta because they can share their inventory. Same ownership group. You can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. All right, let's get into this. I first saw the the advertisement, like the poster. What do you call it when it's online? A po- an online poster. What do you call it? Like, I just call it a poster. You got it. Because like back in, I really loved like back in the days, do they, they they still do it a little bit with like the, the you know, don't post when you're not supposed to and all that jazz, but like the lamp posts or things like, you know, the posters go up with the staple. That's that's an exciting thing. It's never one. It's usually like seven in a row. Yeah, seven. That's yeah. what kind of drives me a little bit nuts. What, you know, I, um, but, but yeah, like the old playbills, I always thought that was kind of a cool anyway. So I see this for the first time, hot boy summer. And I go, Oh boy. Like, like Jason Kenny's hot boy summer, the musical put on by grindstone theater. And I'm going, this looks real. Like, is this, is this real? Is this a real production? And then somebody tells me Donovan working the celebrated improviser, the celebrated comedian actor, Beloved Albertan is starring in the title role, playing Alberta's premier. I went, you got to be kidding me. Number one. Number two. Let's get him on Real Talk. Here he is, Donovan Workin, the star of Jason Kenny's Hot Boy Summer. Good Monday morning to you, pal. Thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks for having me. This is super exciting. Uh, that was a great goal. Come on. I. Uh, you Would know, you like to talk about it for range. a little bit? <laughs> oh, 
no, let's move on. Let's move on. It, <laughs> let me just say it harkened back to the heyday. That's all I'm going to say. I watched it and I was like, I got those chills from the 80s when and, I was a kid. And you know what I love? I and, and you just hit the nail on the head, Donovan, is that if that's true, and why wouldn't it be? Tyson Berry yeah. uh, telling reporters that Leon Dreisaitl skated by the Rangers down three goals and said, just wait, it's coming. Yeah. And then they win in overtime on a Dreisaitl goal, 6-5, 11 yeah. goals, just like it yeah. used to be, baby. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. Wow. Amazing. So how Amazing. does Jason Kenny's hot boy summer come about i mean this is i've never really seen anything Drunk like this barbet i don't know um so I, I, as soon as the premier got elected somebody came up to me and they're like hey you think about making some money dressing up like uh, the premier and i was like oh yeah i kind of do look a little like him we're both a little short in stature and chubby um but i have personality so th- i've got that um so then Byron had contacted me about doing a few little TikTok videos. And I'm like, I'm what's this TikTok you kids are talking about? So we shot a couple of funny little TikTok videos. And then we did a Christmas special for the grindstone. Uh, and then he approached me and said, do you want to do a full blown musical? And um, because I'm an improviser, I can't say no. Uh, I guarantee you dancing and singing uh, is not my forte, but uh, I had to accept the challenge. My stomach hurt just saying that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is exciting. It's, Something that's uh, and it's, it's a hilarious uh, script, man. It's funny. Uh, so, hang on, because we we have to. I mean, I, this video I've never really seen anything quite okay. like it, Donovan. Sure. Um, people that are going to listen to this on the podcast can just check out the Grindstone Theater TikTok. The video is all yep. over the internet. This is uh, this is you channeling Alberta's Premier in, in in somewhat of a rarely seen spirits. Uh, what's what's going on here? Riding the uh, bar stool uh, like a mechanical Ooh. bull. Tell Ooh. us what we're seeing yeah, here, bro. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, there it is. There's the money shot right there. That is why you are leaving it all out there on the field, Donovan. Yeah, that's you got to every game. I go out there and I give 110%. Oh, let's move on before that gets too much. Uh, Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was exactly what I needed at 8.45. When you were, when you were looking to get into character though, I mean, what what's this all about? Because I know that people are gonna, people are probably right now saying like, you know, now do Notley. Every time I talk about a politician, oh, someone said now do Trudeau. Like, why why did you think that it was Alberta's premier that could inspire a full blown musical? That's not a small thing. This is real. You're paying salaries to actors, and people are showing up in theater. This is not some uh, social media stunt. This is yeah. an actual real production. Absolutely. Not only uh, are we paying the salaries, but uh, I'd like to say that the provincial government is a huge sponsor of this show. Uh, so, you know, this is your war room money how did, for this musical. How did you swing that? <laughs> well, the Grindstone is a not-for-profit, so they get funding from all levels of government. And so uh, this went right for it. They so, did uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. So, yeah. <laughs> I will say that uh, channeling Jason Kenny was tough. When we first started doing these little videos, I said to Byron, I'm like, we're going to do this p- pandemic update. It's going to be hard. I need a teleprompter. So then I'm trying to figure out what's Jason Kenny's all about. And I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll figure it out on the day. So I show up and I start reading the teleprompter really poorly because it's the first time I've seen any of the, the text. Uh, and then it went, oh, that's it. That's my Kenny impersonation. He is reading a teleprompter when he gives his pressers for the first time. And that's why he has that kind of 
stuttered cadence when he's delivering information. And that became my impersonation right there, just reading a teleprompter poorly. So what's the story? What's Hot Boy Summer all about? What's the what's the premise of this? My understanding is that sure. this is not your, the play doesn't actually pile on the premier at all. It kind of celebrates him in, in, hey, in, a, in a way, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's set in 1983. Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau is the dean of Alberta University. Okay. Uh, and the former student uh, president was Rachel Notley uh, with her boyfriend, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, who uh, all played by amazingly, brilliantly talented actors. And uh, Jason wants to join a frat and he uh, he vies to become the uh, summer semester student union president away from Rachel Notley. And then she takes her villainous revenge uh, on him and the entire campus. So Jason's the hero of this entire musical. So uh, I think people, I read a lot of the online comments and people are all like, oh, you, you wouldn't do that to Rachel Notley. And it's like, oh man, yes, we will. Of course we will. Uh, oh, there's Stephanie right there. Yeah, we're, we're seeing some videos, uh, yeah. some, some, some exclusive access behind the scenes yes. of the team that puts <laughs> oh. this uh, together. Did you have the blessing of either uh, Premier Kenny or uh, Alberta's official opposition leader, Rachel Notley? Did, were either of them consulted or, or did you reach out to either of them here? Um, well, I think somebody who's always in touch with Rachel Notley a little bit uh, because she's you know connected quite well with the uh, Edmonton art scene, well, the provincial art scene, as a matter of fact. Um, and I know we've contacted the premier a few times. I know for a fact that the premier has seen my impersonation of him. Uh, how he feels about it, I don't know. But, you, have, you haven't heard uh, back from his office at all? We actually are waiting to hear back. We have reached out. So. Yeah, um, this uh, runs November 10th through the 21st at Grindstone Theater in Edmonton. My understanding is they're trying to and maybe you can update me since uh, I mean, I, my understanding is that this yeah. could change at any time. They're trying to add some more shows. I mentioned that some yep. real talkers have reached out. They're hoping that you'll take this show on the road. What did it mean to you or what did it say to you, if anything, that this sold out basically immediately? Well, I mean, I think it's all thanks to me, obviously. It's For sure. My name on the... <laughs> uh, no, I, Albertans. I mean, we just look at the numbers, right? The popularity of our premier right now and how upset people are. Um, it's tough, right? And people need an outlet. And there's a lot... What I love that people also hate this show, right? The idea of the show. That means we're doing something right. Love us or hate us, that, that's what makes art, right? Um so, yeah, people are sick and tired. People are sick and tired on both sides of everything. This pandemic's gone on a long time. Um, could it have been ended earlier? Of course. Could things have been done differently? Uh, yeah, darn rights. But uh, we're here now and uh, we want to celebrate um, just the resilience of Albertans. And we want to celebrate. We want to just open up that valve and release that pressure and tell people it's okay to laugh, it's okay to have fun. Uh, enough with being outraged at everything and, and going online and complaining. Just come out, uh, have a couple hours of a good solid laugh. Uh, forget the problems, forget the mask mandate, forget the vaccination, whatever. Come in and have some fun. You don't mean like literally forget the mask mandate. You, you, you just no. mean, for, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it for right now. Yeah. Let's give you 90 minutes where you can sit down uh, and have a laugh at, uh, at us and yeah mostly mostly my singing and dancing <laughs> is this uh i mean i just people are going to know you obviously i mean seven seasons at least on uh, the number one comedy radio show in canada on cbc's the irrelevant show uh yeah. you know ice racer showdown you're a founding member of atomic <laughs> improv you and i have done some amazing yeah. work together at fundraisers and, stuff like that. Gigs, and, yeah. and 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 a lot of people know you for for kind of your uh 
I mean, you've just, you've brought a lot of laughs in, in a lot of times where there maybe hasn't been reason for laughter. Like I, I can think of times where, you know, I, I've been hosting a terrestrial radio talk show and talking about all the stuff that drives people nuts. And then it's like, and here's Donovan working on the midway at the summer fair, like seeing if he can crush 10 corn dogs in one minute or something. And you've always you've always had this like super fun, um, jovial, very likable kind of presentation. Is it is oh. it how, how much of a how much of a, a new avenue is it for you or how different is it for you to I mean, this is political satire. It's a little bit different than a lot of the stuff that you've done in past. It probably brings out, I mean, maybe some adoration from some different people and, and probably a little bit of hate from some people as well that you might not typically face. Yeah. Yeah. There's some people coming down on me online uh, and that's fine. That means I'm doing something right. Uh, you know, I I don't care if you love me. I like, I would prefer if everybody loved me, but I know that's not going to happen. Yeah. I've done a lot of, a little bit of everything. I've lived in Edmonton almost my entire life, uh, born and raised here. And I've, you know, been lucky enough to travel and do comedy uh, all over the world. Um, and I chose Edmonton as my home to raise a family. And, uh, uh, I love this city and uh, being a part of it's great. You and started do- you started oh. turning this into a love letter about Edmonton. <laughs> well, it's because it's what just happened. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to do like everything from hundreds of dozens of TV commercials and hundreds of live shows and thousands of everything. Uh hoping to make people uh, smile a little bit. And I don't think this is any different because it's a little more. It is political in the sense that we are uh, Jason Kenney, Rachel Notley, all these political figures are in it. Uh, but in the end, it's a frat boy story. It's a story about, uh, you know, about a frat trying to, you know, put one over on the dean and have the best summer ever. So this is about bringing the rodeo party the, uh, to campus and uh, and everybody having a great time. You know, what's pretty interesting is that the uh, like. Can you give us a, just just a, a brief sort of a time frame? Like how, how long ago I, I've never been involved in, in arts or theatrical production. That's my mm-hmm. brother's wheelhouse. I, I don't know if you've ever yeah. met my brother, Kyle, in Vancouver. No, but So no. he, he and his wife, Lindsay Angel, are both, you know, award winning theater actors in Vancouver. They do an amazing job. And for me, it's always been fascinating to try to understand how much goes into. I mean, the, the runs are a big commitment when you're actually doing the shows, but there's months of prep ahead of time. What's really interesting about this is you're shaking your head. You had wheels in motion. What What is this like six hours? You guys whipped it together. But seriously, yeah. all yeah. this stuff about frat boys and this and I'm not and, and I want to be clear, I'm not making light of this, but yeah. all anybody was talking about last week about the Alberta legislature was the, the drinking that's going on and ministers locking their doors going shields up is what they called it. And there were secret, yeah. secret code words. If you wanted to get in, everybody's down there getting bombed. I mean, wow. it, it plays yeah. pretty well into this narrative around the frat. It sure does. And I mean, obviously, we started to. Um developing this uh byron martin and simon abbott started about six weeks ago writing it um so not that long ago but it was before uh all this this newest information came out which is insane um but not surprising really is it um so yeah it's amazing that we call it an improv the lizard brain where you know what's going on subconsciously so we tapped into the whole idea of you know the ucp and the government being like a fraternity right they're protecting each other they're sticking up for each other um they're not too concerned about what's going on 
for the average Albertan, it seems like. And, uh, you know, I hate to say stuff like that, but I, that's, let's face facts. Um, and so we tapped into that six weeks ago and we've only been rehearsing two and a half weeks right now. So we're throwing this together really, really fast. Um, what would know, be, what would be like quality. a normal or standard period? Like how compressed is this schedule that you're doing and, and why the rush? Yeah. Well, I, the rush is because everybody's so busy and we have to sneak rehearsals in and get mm. this show up and running as quickly as we can to kind of fit it in before Christmas. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a typical theater actor. So I, this rehearsal schedule, I would imagine, is at least another uh, week, like three and a half weeks um, to get a show up and running. Uh, seems about like a normal schedule. And we're kind of compressing it down a little bit. So opening night, two nights from now. It's- Pretty big deal, yeah, pal. What? Pretty big deal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's- you know what I love about you? Well, I love a lot of things about you. Can can we tell people about the light that you have over your over your house? Can it has nothing to do with anything? But um, yes. is that still yeah. up? I don't want to. Sometimes you don't want to identify someone's home publicly, especially when they're. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually moved. I moved. Oh, you moved. Okay, well then that I, makes it more safe to talk about the fact that uh, you know we had yeah. Omar Mualam on the show last week. And Omar, yeah, he, he's, he's yeah. crowdfunding so a his years ago. Yeah. Uh, um, three years ago, perhaps. I think it was um, my niece uh, texted me and said, hey, the Burger Baron on uh, White Avenue on the end there by 75th is closing down. And I was like, oh, that's sad. So I'm going to have a burger. So I went there. Everybody was crying like inside all the staff. There were people coming in crying. I can't believe you're closing. My sister told me she used to go there in the 70s when they would go visit my aunt and uncle. Um and so I was like, this is part of Edmonton history. This goes back to my love letter to Edmonton. I was like, we need to uh, do something. So I bought a sign off the Burger Baron and I was going to put it in my house. And then I got it home and I was like, good Lord, this thing is gigantic. Uh, so I mounted it on the outside of my house uh, and I lit it up. And every night and holidays, <laughs> I changed the color and, and stuff like that. Uh, and the only reason I did, people were like, you crazy. You can't do that. The city will come down on you. And I'm like, no, they won't. Trust me. Uh well, maybe they would. Uh, but I just wanted to bring some joy uh, to my neighborhood. Uh, and people loved it. P- uh, people would come by, take pictures. Uh, p- I could hear people talking about it all the time when I was outside. Um, yeah. And so when I went to sell my house, it got listed as the Burger Baron house. Wow. And the chat on the uh, real estate websites was like just huge. And everybody had to come have a viewing. Have you uh, have you driven I, past since? Is the Baron sign still on the house? I kept it. I decided oh, I couldn't buddy. let it go. My kids, my kids were like, "You're an idiot if you let that sign go." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right." Oh, so wow. uh, it's at my new place right now. So okay, I, I love it. And I just, with regards to branding and everything, you, you could have. You clearly have a virtual background behind you right now on Zoom because I'm assuming you're not 11th row at a Stones show as you're talking to us. That was me, though. That was just a few years ago. I'm a giant Rolling Stones fan. A massive fan. I saw in L.A. two weeks ago. Yeah. And I I was going to say, you could have put your Hot Boy Summer art behind you, but no, you decided to put your Stones art up instead. I did have the Hot Boy Summer art up there, and and it was too much. It was so busy. I was like, (laughs) let's go back to the classic. Okay. How was it? How was it? How was it? traveling but was that your first trip you were down to la two weeks yeah. ago with your kids if i remember your post yeah. correctly uh to yeah. go see the stones isn't this like your 20 something stones show more 30 30th. plus how many 30 30 this is your 30th yeah. show yeah yeah unbelievable yeah, what was sad. it like without charlie watt how, how did they that, it was, that was sad yeah 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 it was a bit sad 
yeah, that was a hard day when that happened. Um, but it was great. I mean, you know, they're old guys, but there were 70,000 people there that loved every minute of that show. And uh, it was great. It was really, really great. We had a great time. Amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. Hey, best of luck with this run. Uh, Jason Thanks. Kenny's Hot Boy Summer kicks off November 10th. Uh, and uh, people can learn more at grindstonetheater.ca. Yeah. You can we follow. We will be adding some shows. You will be so. for sure. All right. Yeah. You can follow Donovan on uh, your Instagram and Twitter is the same, right? At Atomic Improv. Yeah. yeah. All right, my man. Nice to see your smiling face. Hey. Thanks for having me. Have a great morning. You got it. And let's talk about that goal. Let's talk about the goal. <laughs> so he takes the puck in the neutral zone, and then he, no Hoyles is. She's saying no. Every player. We've got to move. Every player on the team. Every player on the team is they, out there. They brought other guys off the bench. It doesn't yes. even matter. They could have cleared the bench, and he would have just gone through them. It doesn't even yeah. matter. Yeah. Unbelievable yeah. stuff, Donovan Workin, the star yeah. of Jason Kenny's Hot Boy Summer. No, but seriously, they could have had like two or three more players out there and he would have just gone through. The, it wouldn't have. Been, OK. OK, fine. I am super proud to tell you. Thank you. A little bit more about our partnership. If we didn't have esteemed, reputable medical professionals in the bullpen right now waiting to go. Did you hear that? Was it you that told me this? No, it was you that told me this. They're looking to change. They I don't know who they is. Everybody. Not it, some people. They don't want it to be called the bullpen anymore. That wasn't me. Yeah, they don't they don't like it to be called the bullpen anymore because it, it apparently harkens back to like bulls and matadors and bullfighting. And apparently this is the truth. And apparently people now are starting to call it, which makes me think that maybe this has been the colloquial language in baseball circles. I'm not a baseball guy. I love baseball, but I'm not like I've never played baseball. I'm not like in. I'm not in the dugout. The arm barn. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds awesome, right? The arm barn. And apparently, like, where pitchers are warming up, they're not calling it the arm barn. They apparently don't call it the bullpen anymore. I like that. Have you ever been to... I already know the answer to this. Why am I even asking you? Have you ever been to a bullfight? <laughs> what do you think? My you... guess is no, but we all, all of our lives, tell interesting stories, right? Yeah, nope, never been. It's horrible. I've, I've, I've been. I don't need it's, to go to know that. It's, it's one of the things, you know, every once in a while, you're, you're like, how bad can something be? And then you go and you're like, this is appalling. So I have gone. I'll own it. If I'm going to really be honest, I've gone twice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You like weren't sure. You're like, well, maybe well, it wasn't as bad like, as I of, thought it was. Well, one, of them, really- one of them. One of them was when we were traveling in South America, me and the boys, and we were just young. We were 21. We just graduated university, and we and we were invited to one in Peru, and it was fascinating. And then what they do is, it's I've never seen anything like it. This is about to get a little bit. Sorry, I'm just. This is the truth. This is real life. This is still an ad read. Yeah, no, it's. Luckily, I haven't said the name of the company yet, because I was about to go into quality raw meat, and so this is maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna actually swerve. I'm gonna do another one. But they actually butcher the bull right after and then literally sell it like market style. I've never seen anything like it in my life. They they literally have like what, what would now be sort of like not a keg exactly, but and they'd like pump beers for you outside the ring and everyone sits around and like evaluates the meat and then they like butcher. I saw it with my own eyes. They butcher it off and like sell off. It's, it was fascinating. Fascinating. I've never seen anything like it, obviously. Like who has? I mean... And then, like, about 15 years later, 
also down in Central America. And there, it was going on, but it was more of a sort of part of a bigger community celebration. And the bullfights were part of it. And we, uh, this one was kind of an interesting one because it's like there's chaos and madness that happens in, uh, you know, parts of the world that aren't as regulated with things like safety standards and things like that. And long story short, a bunch of us were in the ring and they let us steer out. And I was wearing flip flops. Ended up falling and actually injuring myself quite badly and limping around on my honeymoon for two weeks while my wife just rolled her eyes. A bit of a precursor to what life might be like. <laughs> Running around a bull ring in flip-flops on your honeymoon. But I've not been since, and I don't recommend it to anybody. It's actually, it's, it's barbaric and it's horrible, and I wish I hadn't have seen it, to be honest with you. Why am I doing this? The ad read music under me just sounds like the strangest thing. You don't call show Real Talk if you're not going to participate in Real Talk. What has nothing to do with bulls? I'll tell you what's no bull. The deal you can get at Park Power right now, if you bring your business over there, internet, electricity, or natural gas, you can choose where you get these utilities. Why not take your business to, to number one, a business that, that doesn't lock you into contracts that aren't going to look good on you if the variable or fixed rate changes? You know how this goes? You're always trying to pick the right horse. They're like, please stay away from animal references for the remainder of our ad read. But you're always going, should I be in the variable rate? Should I be in the fixed rate? They don't lock you in. You can go back and forth every month if you want. 2021-RealTalk is the promo code that's going to get you 70 bucks off your first bill at Park Power. Also, a big shout out to the team at Local Waste. I'm telling you how excited we are to extend our partnership with them, which means that Trash Talk is going to keep coming at you every Friday for the foreseeable future. Your chance to blow off a little steam via emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Trash Talk is presented by the team at Local Waste Services that's been keeping it local for more than a quarter century, still family-owned, operating in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and always growing construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. They'd love to earn your business. Give them a call or check them out online today at localwaste.ca. This is a big deal. Uh, The HPV vaccine we're talking about human papillomavirus now demonstrating a link to cancer or maybe preventative measures i have now reached the depth of my knowledge on this story which is why i'm particularly excited that sarah's booked dr fiona matatal a calgary-based doctor in obstetrics and gynecology a good friend of this show and Amy Langer, uh, who just wrapped up her master's of public policy at the University of Calgary, uh, completing research on how governments communicate public health information, in particular on social media. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Dr. Matatal, uh, Amy, welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks for being here. Fiona, before we get into anything, I laughed out loud at a tweet you sent out yesterday. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but I just wanted to pick your brain on what went into it because I think everybody can relate to this. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, you say, is there a word for that thing where your brain fills in what it thinks the bottom half of a person's face looks like only to see the person unmasked and they don't look anything like what your brain predicted i had that happen to me over the weekend tell us the story oh this happens to me every day through the pandemic so as part of my job i look after pregnant patients and so i spend you know close to nine months with them week after week chatting with them, examining them in my office space where they're masked. When they come in and go into labor, we give them the option of taking off their mask if they don't have COVID. And so I've had up to nine months with my brain filling in what this part of their face looks like. 
And every time my brain gets it wrong. Yeah. And uh, I, there's got to be a name for it. I'm uh, I'm helping out coaching my little guy's hockey team uh, this season. And uh, I just for the first time this weekend, after like several meetings and several practices and games with the head coach of the team, he, he just pulled his mask down for the first time just this weekend. And I went, oh, my gosh, this guy doesn't look anything like what I expected. I think it's why your tweet resonated with me so much. It's hilarious stuff. Absolutely mm-hmm. funny stuff. Um, let's get into this. This is uh, my understanding is this this report that came out in The Lancet. And Amy, we'll pick your brain on this in just a minute as well. But this is this is pretty big news, right? Can, can you take us into what we need to know? And this isn't, by the way, just a women's health story. That's the number one misconception. I think we need to hit square between the eyes, doctor. Yeah. Can I give you a bit of a backstory Please. on all of this? Okay. And I saw at the top, you were saying that, you know, your knowledge of HPV, you knew what human papillomavirus, that is stood like for that. Kinda, so that's pretty cool. Kinda. But I'll tell you, I bet you every real talker who's been in office like mine knows what HPV is because they usually see me looking like this between their legs. And every real talker who knows someone like me saying scooch down a little bit closer to the end of the bed knows exactly what we're talking about. But here there's reasons that you should know as a parent what this is all about. So HPV, as you said, um, stands for human papillomavirus. And HPV virus is a family of viruses. There's over 100 strains identified. So unlike COVID, where we're seeing, you know, one strain, another, another, there's hundreds of strains of um HPV and kind of like other families, like human families, there's a lot of the members of this family that are pretty innocuous. There's a few members who are really annoying. And then there's a couple of members who are really toxic. So in the family of HPV, the ones that are innocuous are the ones that cause what we call in medicine papillomas, so warts. So if you've ever had a wart on your finger, that's HPV. If you've had a plantar wart, that's HPV. The ones that are more annoying are the ones that cause warts in two really sensitive areas. One is your vocal cords and one is down below in Mm -hmm. your genitals. So those are the annoying ones. Then there's the toxic versions of HPV, the toxic family members, and those are the ones that cause cancer. And the most common cancer that HPV causes is cervical cancer, which is what this study is about and we'll focus on but it also causes other cancers of the genital area. And I have to say, I really appreciate that on a Monday morning, I can use the term penis, vagina, vulva, anus on your show, because this is what we're talking about, but it can also cause some head and neck cancers in the mouth and in the throat. So these are the bad players with HPV. There was for decades development of a vaccine to try and combat cervical cancer because cervical cancer used to be a very prominent cancer for women. Eva Perone, remember Don't Cry For Me Argentina, yeah. she died of cervical cancer. Um, Henrietta Lacks, who a lot of people might know from the immortal life of Henri- Henrietta Lacks, her, her cell line, the HeLa cells were HP or were HPV positive cervical cancer. So it took down a lot of lives. There's work to be done to look at a vaccine to prevent cervical cancer. As the vaccine developed from the 1970s and 80s and 90s, it became available in 2008. Australia was the first country to take it on. And then quickly around the world, 
this vaccine became available. And I'm looking forward to what Amy has to tell us about what was happening locally, because that's a very interesting story. Um, the vaccine has changed over the years. It started out with a bivalent vaccine, meaning it took on the two most toxic of the strains. They went to a quadrivalent vaccine, which meant there were four different strains that were covered by the vaccine. And that covered not only 80% of cervical cancer strains, as well as the penis, anus, head and neck cancers, but also tackled genital warts. Then what's used currently right now in Alberta is a, is a vaccine that has nine different strains. And what that has done is expanded from 80% coverage of cancer up to 90%. And I can tell you, I stand behind this vaccine 100%, so much that our house tween had her vaccine two weeks ago because she's in grade six. And we had a good chat about this vaccine because she does not like needles. And she's like, yeah, mom, I don't think I really want to get that needle. So I said, let's sit down and talk about cervical cancer, which she was like, yeah, that's probably not going to affect me. We talked about pap tests. We talked about what happens if your pap test is abnormal and some of the testing you have to go through. And that is not something anybody wants. But what actually got her convinced was showing her pictures of genital warts. As one would be convinced by seeing pictures of genital warts. Uh, this is so, okay, I have a million questions and, mm -hmm. and uh, I promise I won't keep the both of you here for, for, for more than two hours. But seriously, Amy, I, I see it. Uh, let me describe for the people that are tuning in on the podcast the minute that Dr. Matatal lets us know that their house tween uh, got her HPV vaccine. You start applauding. You start clapping yeah. immediately. How come? Well, for a lot of the same reasons that, you know, Dr. that Fiona really just kind of covered, you know, like HPV is one of the most common uh, STIs that uh, any particular, particularly sexually active adult will ever encounter. Um, for many people, uh, you may not even develop any sort of warts, so you may not even realize that you have it, and it is super easy, so that makes it very easy for people to pass it on, not really knowing that they have it. Um, obviously, using barrier methods like condoms and dental dams and other things like that can help prevent that transmission, but obviously, no, nothing's ever guaranteed. Um, but yeah, like, and like Fiona was mentioning, you know, um, in 2015 in Alberta, for example, um, approximately like about 100% of all cervical cancer cases in Alberta were attributed to HPV. About 92% of anal cancer cases in Alberta were attributed to HPV. Penile cancers, 40%. Vaginal cancers, about 72%. And um, I think before the show, you know, you and Sarah were talking and Sarah mentions, I think it was Michael Douglas who had cancer mm -hmm. kind of like the throat area. Mm -hmm. That's about 60%. 60% of cases are attributable to HPV. So it is, it, it's it's a huge, it, it, it <laughs> it, it is a huge part of different types of cancers. Can I just can I just interrupt for like just to be yeah. just to make sure that I'm not totally misunderstanding the premise mm -hmm. of this entire conversation is this. The idea is that you could participate in oral sex and mm -hmm. get cancer from it. Is that what we're talking? Is like, yes. is that? Yeah, it's it is absolutely it is absolutely a possibility. Um, like Fiona said, you know, there's over a, a hundred different strains of this virus. So. 
um, our bodies when we when we actually you know when we get this virus sometimes our body just clears it out it takes a few years for it to do and you may not experience any warts or any sort of abnormal um, abnormal cell um, you know biopsies you know if you have a pap but for some people it that's not the case you do exp you do get warts which you know is uncomfortable and a little unsightly but generally pretty harmless but there is a you know there is a real risk of deadly cancers um you know i kind of want to bring up the example of laura brennan in ireland because ireland had a massive uh you know crisis of confidence in hpv vaccine when they first rolled out their program they had a you know they were aiming for about 80 percent and they exceeded that their first year and before about 2016 they hit at about like 88%-ish uh, vaccine uptake rates, which is higher than Alberta has ever had. Mm. And then there was a very organized campaign that, you know, sowed a lot of doubt in parents' minds around the safety of this vaccine. And uh, so rates plummet, uptake rates plummeted to about 20 to about 50% in 2016. Huge drop. Amy, Massive you're a, drop. you're an, you're an expert in, in not just the, and congratulations by the way, on your recent uh, graduate degree, uh, <laughs> but, you. but, but also in like the power of social media and messaging and public sentiment. And, and that's why I want to ask you this mm -hmm. first, but Fiona, please jump in as well. Obviously. Um, what is it like you go from 88% vaccine mm -hmm. uptake to like the 50 or, you know, 50, 60 ish. That's, that's huge. It's significant. It's demoralized for public health professionals yeah. is this because of people spreading misinformation on facebook and people that think they're smarter than doctors i mean is it that simple i don't want to say it's necessarily that simple there can be a lot of reasons why people are um unwilling to take a vaccine um but in the case of ireland um that was a huge part of it um the number one concern in Ireland and um, in Alberta as well is concerns around safety. And a lot of those concerns around safety are from misinformation. And so it really matters how the government communicates about public health information because they have a role in developing transparency and trust with the public. And so when you don't have those things, it really, you know, it, it really undermines like you know, because if only 70%, you know, I think Alberta maximum we ever got for either boys or girls was about just a little over 71%, um, you know, it, it's not going to be nearly as effective. And we really want to try to get up as high as we can. We really want to try to get everybody vaccinated. So when you have people who, th who are going through and, um, you know, they're looking for information because there's been a sort of democratization of information you know it's not always gatekept anymore by government scientists doctors academics a lot of this information is available just at you know at the edge of your fingertips you type in you know hpv and there's all sorts of information and there's a lot of good information but there's also a lot of bad information out there too and a lot of people either become very overwhelmed with the amount of information that's there, and we call that information overload, or they don't have the digital literacy skills to be able to look at the information that's there and discern what's good, what's misinformation, and sometimes just the sheer amount of information just makes it impossible to kind of do that without really that training. So, you know, 
that's why trust in institutions and trust in governments and health authorities like AHS is really important because when you don't have those skills, you need to be able to trust that there is something or someone that is has your best interest out there. I don't even, Amy, can I, uh, and I don't even, oh gosh, I don't even know if I want to say this. I don't know if this is a productive <laughs> comment or not, but I, I don't have trust in institutions, generally speaking, uh, inherently. <laughs> I don't enough. think that an institution just gets my trust. You know who I do trust? I trust mm-hmm. the physicians and the health yeah. experts that have taken the Hippocratic Oath that show up to work every day because they are committed to doing what's best for their patients. And that's what, and, and that's mm-hmm. to me, it's it's like the personal level. So when we look at like Dr. Yeah. Matatal, like can I say, you know, uh, and, and I, and I got to be very careful with regards to characterizing you know or painting everybody with the same brush people that are hesitant around the COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines as an example but a huge part of that and I feel like I've had hundreds of hours of conversation about it a big part of it is the speed or the 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 fast-tracked the understanding that this was fast-tracked and that it doesn't have the track record of other vaccines and as much as you explain to somebody that listen it still has all of the requirements it still met all the requirements to get FDA approval and Health Canada approval and it's still gone it was just it was it was expedited but it wasn't necessarily rushed in other words it wasn't just this willy-nilly type vaccine but that to me is the biggest hesitation around the COVID-19 vaccine what about this one like what drives hesitation yeah Fiona around the HPV vaccine can I add in something that uh, there's so many great parallels between what we're seeing and I mean one of the good things with the pandemic might be an increase in public understanding, science literacy, understanding vaccine, vaccine development. What's different with the HPV vaccine is sexual politics. And HPV is a sexually transmitted infection. And what we saw in Alberta and specifically here in Calgary was as this vaccine was rolling out. And one thing we should touch on is that the vaccine is most effective when it is administered to someone before, I love this term, before their sexual debut. And if you have the vaccine in your system before you're exposed, it works so much better than if you've had the virus and then you get the vaccine. So what you see is in most countries is school-based programs where initially only girls, but now girls and boys around grade five or six, get their first shot of HPV vaccine offered. What happened in Calgary in 2008, when that was initiated, was we have two school boards in Calgary. We have the public school board, which had excellent uptake in 2008, but we have a separate school board, which is overseen by the bishop, who specifically Bishop Henry in Calgary denied the vaccine be administered in the Catholic school system in Calgary. There was a huge campaign to correct that, and it took a number of years. And we have four years of Calgarian kids who weren't vaccinated against HPV because of sexual politics. There was worry that the vaccine would lead to sexual promiscuity, which was disproven in study after study. And our kids also get hepatitis B vaccine at the same time for the same reason, it's a sexually transmitted infection. And so uh, there's a lot of fear and 
worry about thinking about kids and sexuality that went into this as well. Okay, so this is the uh, basically the exact same thing as uh, people taking a look at the spread of the AIDS epidemic on the continent mm-hmm. of Africa in the 1980s and the pushback from Catholic missionaries over there to do something as simple as handing out condoms because it went against their religious beliefs so it could have done wonders in saving hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. Mm-hmm. Basically the same thing. Okay, so we need to have more of a frank conversation, I guess. I mean, here's here's the thing. like I, I had a fa- I don't even want to say their names, but people dear to me. Uh, we had a conversation. Their their teenager is he's a delightful, wonderful, amazing kid. I'm so proud of him and I love him dearly. And we had a conversation around the fire. He wasn't there about how they're handling conversations around sex and he's dating and he's and and uh and they are a, a, a for if it's relevant or not they're they're bible believing christians and i said how are you preparing him or what's your game plan and, and mom looked at me and said we're making sure he has condoms and we're talking to him and i was like oh because that's just not what i expected but maybe that's maybe that's just common sense i don't know our little guy's six we're not there quite yet but i mean if this is a vaccine that's recommended for for boys and girls, right? Uh, right around mm-hmm. age 12. Um, I mean, I guess this this marks a point if parents haven't had the conversations already, I, I guess that that, you know, that's right around the age you want to start talking about it, though. It may not be your first choice. Can I say that your child's sexual debut is at age 12? It doesn't mean <laughs> that they're not human beings and that it couldn't possibly happen. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And I mean, uh, I might add, too, is that there is a little bit of a gendered aspect here that's obviously that you've pointed out that you know a lot of the times we look at we connect HPV to cervical cancer and therefore HPV to women and we don't talk a lot about how HPV can cause cancers in people of all genders and all sexes with all sorts of you know genitals because it doesn't just affect that down there so there is kind of like you know you mentioned that you didn't know a whole lot about this and frankly even when I was growing up in the school system I had never really heard about HPV until I was about 18 19 so there was a gap there um Part of it was it wasn't addressed really so much in the school curriculum my parents didn't address it I found out just through researching and finding things out on my own and talking to my doctor. Um, So there is a little bit of like a a gendered aspect to that that makes some of these conversations a little bit more difficult, especially when you consider how we link masculinity and sexuality and femininity and sexuality Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's it's a good thing for men to be like very sexual and to be like, you know, that alpha kind of can we just say the words it's it's the idea of the stud versus the slut right exactly right and so there's a lot of there's a lot of bad tropes around women and their sexuality but if we're you know if we're willing to have and needing to have conversations with young girls around even things like their menstrual health and periods around age 12 I know you know it's it's a common age for for that to happen there's no real reason why we can't also include conversations around sexual health in that point in time um and to me at least it doesn't really seem to make any sort of sense that there's like a disconnect there because your menstrual cycle is inherently linked to your fertility and your ability to have babies which requires that whole you know like aspect so (laughs) it's it's kind of silly there's a lot of you know like 
like Fiona mentioned, there's a lot of sexual politics and there's a lot of like weird gender norms that kind of come into play with this as well. I like the cut of your jib, Langer. This is the first. This is the first time you and I have spoken. I really like the way that you communicate uh, in plain language, and I think that that's really important, um, Doctor Matatal. Not to get too personal, but I mean, you, you, I would imagine you just had this conversation with your tween. Um, can Can you give us maybe? I mean, I know a lot of parents, a lot of young parents are going to be watching. I know this for a fact because our live chat right now is a bunch of questions, and I want to do those justice, and I want to ask some of those in a minute, but. Any tips you may, I mean, you're, you're, you're an OBGYN and you're a mom. So any tips for having these conversations with your tweens and teens? And I, I think it starts before they're teens or tweens. I, I think it starts early on using normal anatomical terms, penis, yeah. vagina, vulva, um, familiarizing them with those parts of their body and, and keeping an open conversation. Um, our school systems do a really good job of sexual education. Um, I was thrilled to see what was going on here in the Calgary um, public system with how both of my kids were were taught. So, you know, have those conversations with kids when they're learning about those things at school. Use that as a tool to open up a conversation if you're uncomfortable starting it yourself and keep an open dialogue. It, that provides a safe environment for a child and also gives them their best chance at a healthy sexual life for the rest of their life. I know it's hard to imagine when you you take home a baby and then they're a toddler and then they're a small kid. You don't see them as a sexual being, but we're human. We are sexual beings and you want to give them the best chance at that, just like you would with anything else in their life. I just I, I sorry, I just about choked on my coffee. Uh, out of my brand new Real Talk version two Crescent mug available on our website. Um, no, and it's not based on what you said, but it's based on uh, something some random guy said on our chat. That's the real handle says, oh, we're normalizing the term sexual debut now. Um, may I say as someone and this is not a personal swipe at anyone at all, but growing up in the conservative evangelical tradition, the phrase Losing your virginity is inherently negative uh, or it's perceived to be in that moment uh, or, or, you know, in that conversation, the virginity, your virginity is, is held up like, you know, like your grandparents fine china that was handed down and, and you handle it with care because once it's broken or shattered, it is forever gone. And there's the shame cycle that comes with it. And a lot of people, a lot of tweens and teens lie to themselves and try to justify behaviors uh, to cut to the chase because we call the show Real Talk. A dear friend of mine in university tried to justify only having anal sex with his girlfriend because she was going to be a virgin until they got married, this vaginal virgin. And he twisted himself up like a pretzel trying to justify all the... I don't think that we're normalizing the phrase sexual debut, but but can we get into the culture around it, this purity culture? We've talked about this on the show before. It's fascinating stuff. And also a reminder that a sexual debut may not be someone's choice, that yeah. we do have to keep mm. in mind that it may not be consensual. And this is, again, why you protect your kids. You, you give them the tools to protect themselves, whether it's knowledge or whether it's this vaccine. Amy, did you want to add to that? Yeah, um, just that entire time you were talking, the first thing that I thought of was, you know, the term soaking 
which um, I won't go into too much detail because, you know, here. But no, no, Amy, so- let's, let's do it because can I be honest with you? The coincidence is amazing. I just heard of I, I just heard what soaking means this weekend. It's a it's a it's a it's within faith circles. Right. And it's it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really it- common in Mormon in Mormon circles, but I'm sure it exists elsewhere. This idea where where, you know, between. A man and a woman. I don't know if it's the same term if you're if it's between same sex couples or not. But essentially, where you know the man inserts himself into the woman, but there's no thrusting, so it doesn't count as sex. Like you like get in and you like soak in the tub. You yeah, I'm you like soak oh, in the warmth, just, but you don't move. It is this. It is okay. Honestly, it is the dumbest thing i've ever heard like i've heard some pretty dumb shit in my life but that has got a top but this is because you you, yet you try to understand that the Mm -hmm. the shame that comes with yeah like losing your virginity and the the, the denial around it and people having to wonder because it's like that's supposed to be for your wedding night and if it's not then you're you're like walking down there like how dare she wear what and look at me subconsciously making it about her look at that again me the guilty party but how dare she wear white at her wedding i know what happened when they soaked that one right i mean this is the whole thing around it I mean, like this exists even outside of religious circles. So when I was brought up, I, you know, my, um, neither of my parents are particularly religious and they did not require me to go to any sort of church or anything like that. I did, you know, with a family friend, I did get a small taste of Mormonism, you know, Lethbridge early nineties. So that's the whole. Oh yeah. I spent some, some summertime in Cardston, (laughs) Amy. I know what you're talking about. Right. So, but this, but this kind of purity culture really does like it, it exists in everyday life, even if you're not as part of a religious thing, you know, um, you know, my own experiences with my sexuality growing up. Um, and like, you know, uh, Fiona mentioned the, your first sexual experience is sometimes not consensual. And I mean that like, to be real, like that was the case for me. Like I was very, very young and um i didn't know what it meant and so i grew up with a lot of just internalized shame and trauma there and it's taken me until you know my late 20s to go out and find therapy and get help for that and realize some of the twisted ideas that kind of form around this and how toxic it is and you know how you know you know and you, and you use it as a way to kind of like you know put yourself up on a platform while simultaneously pushing other people down because you feel so inherently wrong. Just as a person, you just feel wrong. So there's a lot to be said about how we ingrain that into our culture as a whole, because as much as we like to think that, you know, church and state are very separate, that's not all, you know, that's not really the case. Like church church ideals and you know and it links with patriarchy and we can go on a whole other thing about that about and and that just like these are defining aspects of our society so i mean to the person in the comment who said oh i guess we're normalizing the term sexual debut why not Hmm. right like why we should be normalizing these types of conversations we should be normalizing a lot of this because the more we just the more we kind of just go oh this is like a secret shameful thing the more it is damaging to young people and it doesn't really give them a chance to have a healthy sexual life because they're so wrapped up in what they should or shouldn't do because of some norms or other norms and i will say like the advent of like social media and digital media 
has been really great in that respect because it has helped distribute some of these ideas of where it doesn't have to be about shame. You know, you can have a healthy sexual existence and there's, you don't have to be ashamed of that. Right. Amy, so there's, yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how much I, you know, we have these sort of moments on the show from time to time. This is one of them um, where someone will just decide to show up like you have showed up today. And I always try to second, uh, try to take a second to reflect on that and honor the moment. And I want to thank you for your forthrightness uh, with us today. I, I don't take it for granted and it means a lot. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly uh, grateful uh, for this real talk. Quite frankly, I don't mean to turn it into a branding exercise, but you've delivered on, yeah. on what we've asked. I want to get into the, the comments here. There's some great questions. Um, I want to respect both of your time as well. I know you have appointments, doctor. You have patients to see. Uh, how about this? First of all, from Jen, who says my grade six son is getting the vaccine today, and this is making me feel even more confident in the decision. Great interview. How about that from Jen? I mean, you are speaking right to her awesome. today. Um, Troy, I think we've answered his question. How much has religious opposition affected the distribution of this vaccine? vaccine in teens, which I think is a good one. We had an earlier comment from an audience member who said that their uh, relative um, actually educates dental hygienists like at, at some sort of a college or something like that and said they're a huge advocate for the HPV vaccine, which I thought was really interesting. We've got a bunch of people asking, doctor, about the uh, not the efficacy, but what's the like the uh, whether there's needs for boosters or how long this is effective for. And they're asking about the proper ages. We've even got some people asking if it's recommended for adults that maybe didn't get this vaccine when they were teens. Can you take us into everything we need to know from the science standpoint about this vaccine? Great question. So, as I said before, getting the vaccine before your exposure to the virus gives you the best outcomes. And that's what we're starting to see come out in, in the data. Um, the Health, Health Canada has recommended this vaccine for up to age 26. Beyond that, they say it's up to the person, but there isn't an upper limit of age according to Health Canada. So anybody, any gender, any age over the age of 11, I believe, can have uh, access to this vaccine, but it's more effective the younger you are. And if, what I'll do is just tell you about the study that was the tweet that started this whole conversation. Um, and it, it's, it's exhibited in the data there. So in the UK, what they did was they started their vaccine program the same time we did and started looking at collecting data going forward. So what they found in their study that was released just last week was some of the first evidence in the world of effect on cancer risk reduction. And keep in mind, as Amy said, when you're exposed to the virus, you may clear it, but it may take months or years to see the actual virus effect. And then it may take years after that to see cancer. So it has taken us from 2008 until now to see what is the actual effect on cancer rates. So what they found in the UK, and I'm just grabbing the sheet so I get the numbers right. So in, um, and this was just looking at females who are, um, vaccinated. So at age 12 to 13, there's an 87% reduction in cervical cancer. At age 14 to 16, it was 
62% lower. And age 16 to 18, at the age of vaccination, it was 34% lower. So as you can see, as the age of vaccination goes up, it's less effective at reducing the risk of cancer, which is what we would expect from the biology of how this virus and cancer works. One question I had on Twitter, um, as you had posted that this interview is coming up was what about other cancers and specifically cancers for people who maybe don't have a cervix and the data for that is smaller because these cancers are less common and what we have is very early data in those uh, in those areas of the body so what we're looking at is rates of HPV infection and not necessarily cancer will probably take a few more years till we see the cancer data. But for oral cancers, like you mentioned, that those are ones that often dentists and dental hygienists would diagnose because they're looking in your mouth to see the lesions. They do see reduction HPV infection in the throat, in the anus and on the penis as well. We are seeing consistently reduction over 80% of HPV infection in all of those areas of the body. So stay tuned in the years to come to see will we see how much reduction will we see for cancers of those body parts. I owe some random guy a return to the Real Talk chatterbox, the live chat who says, oh dear, tone is not conveyed properly in text. Some random guy says, I really meant it sincerely as, oh, we are definitely normalizing sexual debut as a thing now, please. <laughs> so some random guy. My Thank apologies. You guy. Thank you for circling back. Kimberly says knowledge is power, especially Absolutely. in regards to sexuality. Let me just whip through some of these. I mean, there's some really great comments on here. Uh, you know, I, I you know what a bunch of people are asking a bunch of people are asking about cost it, my understanding mm -hmm. here is that the vaccine is covered for teens i'm only going on what i'm reading on our live chat i don't have data here pardon me if i'm inaccurate but that adults that maybe didn't get it are being forced to pay for it and apparently it's pretty expensive is this a thing yeah so there's um as far as i know there is a little bit of a catch-up program so if you didn't get it when you were 12 to 13 in your school program um which is you know which may be the case for a lot of like rural communities that don't attend public schools. So thinking like Mennonite and Hutterite communities and how we reach out to um, those communities, um, even even potentially uh, indigenous communities and schools that are on reserves. I'm not entirely sure how the program works for those schools if there is there. So there's a bit of a catch up program that covers you until you're 26. Um, and I think it was when I went to get my first or second COVID vaccine. Um, the pharmacist that uh, that actually gave me my injection, she asked me about if I'd gotten the HPV. And so at this point in time, you know, I, like I'm 30 or so. Um, I've been married for about like five-ish years now. And um, so I, I'm not as concerned about it, but like had I known about this prior this is probably something that would have been like really high priority for me and when i asked her about cost she gave me uh she said it's estimated to be about around 150 per per vaccine and i believe now it's a three dose at, if you're 15 and older you require three doses so you're looking at about 450 dollars or so and that's not that's us you know for most people even myself like i think i have a good job i get paid quite well um that's still a fairly significant. It's not a joke. That's not a joke. Like I could go see a hockey game with. That. <laughs> like, Did you see the goal right? on Friday night? Uh, you know, okay. Even as a Flames fan, I gotta say, like oh. that was like, mwah. That is like, that's high praise right there. It was, yeah, right. Like, 
I can't sit here and say boo Connor McDavid when I just watch something like that, right? But um, so yeah, for a lot of people, it's a fairly significant chunk of change. Um, I know at one point Alberta did have some low-income programs to help people with lower incomes access these. I do not know if those are still around. My guess, knowing this government, is probably not, or they're significantly like limited. Um, but you know, I think in many cases there are still some people who, if you if you've got private insurance, that may cover it. Um, I know a couple of people who are older, who are male, who have gone out and gotten their vaccine. They've been, you know, and these are people who have been in like stable, you know, marriages. As far as I know, they are not poly, so they're you know one partner. They're pretty secure. They're not going to get any sort of STIs, but they still go out and get this because. Not only does it set a good example for their own children, um, but it's, you know, it's just one way you can take care of your own health, right? And like Fiona said, it is less effective as you get older, but, um, you know, you could be 40 or 50. And if you think that, you know, you really don't want to get, you know, a very preventable form of cancer, by all means, go get vaccinated. And if you can access it and if you can get the, the, uh, if you can get the access and if you can afford it, um, I would love to see that this program be um, increased so that there's a catch-up program maybe until about 30. And uh, I'd like to see some obviously more substantial subsidizing. So so it's not quite $150 per, per shot, but, um, you know, wishful thinking maybe. Mm-hmm. Um- We've got to let you both go, but I got to respect your time, and I know you have patience to see doctor. Uh, but you know uh, what? I, what I would be devastated is if uh, you know we sign off, and then you send me a private message and say, "Oh, it's just too bad we didn't have a chance to talk about this." Is there anything I want to tie this up with a bow? And then, Amy, by the way, before we go, I'm going to ask you. I'm assuming there's not two Amy Langers that were emailing the show. Did you send me an email on Friday about Devin Dreeshin? That, yes, that's I you. Did. Okay, you you had that to know. I, me too. I was like, I was like, this guy, this can't be a quick. There can't be two Amy Langers sending us emails. So you know, I'm going to ask you about that. It has nothing to do with HPV. At least I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but doctor, is there anything we've not discussed or not covered that you think is obviously important? I know that you're accessible on social media. You do an amazing job on Twitter, by the way. And I know that people can reach out to you if they, if they do have other questions. And I'm sure that when you have time, you'll be able to answer them. But is there anything key that we've not touched on yet? Honestly, I think we've hit on on all the big points for this. Um, I think you've done an excellent job. And honestly, thank you for giving us a window on a Monday morning to talk about reproductive health. It's nice to talk about a virus that is not COVID. Mm. Yep. (laughs) I got to agree. Yeah, so very true. Well, thank you both for making yourselves available. Um, Amy, Mm -hmm. I could could read your your entire email, but I'm not going to. I just want to give you... Hey, Doc, if you've got to sign off, by the way, it, it's totally fine. Or if you want to sit around and listen to it, well, uh, this will be, you know, three minutes. We'll wrap uh, if, if you're watching or listening live at the top of the clock. But, Amy, you wrote us uh, an email that says subject line terminology thoughts. And right. um, we're going to be talking in a little bit about neurodivergence. It was the subject of our most recent question of the week. Fascinating results from more than 500 audience members that chimed in to talk to us about their own mental health, neurodivergence, barriers, disabilities. Uh, it's, I mean, just fascinating, amazing stuff, this audience. Um, but your email was prompted by the resignation of Alberta's now former Minister of Agriculture and Forestry. Uh, acknowledged, uh, did Devin Dreeshin, that his drinking has stood in the way of him representing the ministry as it needs to be represented. What prompted your email to me? 
Well, you guys, you and Sarah were having this conversation about whether or not it was okay to use the term alcoholic. Um, and that kind of in, in immediately kind of prompted this like, you know, like, okay, yeah, we generally don't use the term anymore. And a lot of people think that it has to do with like political correctness, but it's really not. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer of, you know, we don't shame people for their mental illnesses. And, you know, a lot of people are questioning whether, I mean, I don't believe, you know, MLA Dreeshin resigned of his own accord. Just my, just my opinion there. Well, of course not. Yeah. But at, by the same token, you know, like I, I don't like the idea of, you know, using his alcoholism or by, or his substance abuse issues by any means to as like a political bashing stick, just totally. the same way that I don't like hearing people using somebody's, you know, perhaps like their sexual orientation as a political bashing stick, right? Like whether or not his, you know, his intentions to address the issue are genuine or not, I would rather be a person that holds that space and holds that kind of compassion, even for somebody that I definitively do not like and do not think is a good person or a good leader, then, you know, be one of those people that goes, well, like, fuck that guy. Like, I don't, you know, I don't care. Right. So, and that's just kind of like my personal way of thinking because you know like my brother um has had substance abuse issues and he's he's had substance abuse issues for almost half my life and almost half of his as well so for me it's it's been a kind of a learning curve so when you guys were having this talk about this terminology the thing that kind of stuck out to me was just this idea that ideally when we talk about people who are especially people who are already marginalized and stigmatized one of the biggest things we want to do is to try to separate this idea that they are their issue, right? They are not entirely their substance abuse issues or they're not entirely their housing situation, that kind of thing. Um, it ties a little bit into the, like the language that we use. You say this person is homeless, you know, that idea of what does like is what does it mean to be something rather than they experience houselessness or housing insecurity and i think from a policy standpoint what's really helpful with that is when you separate these two things out it's a lot easier to say housing insecurity or substance abuse is the problem that we need to address um and not undesirable people or i should say undesirable people because i don't think that they're actually undesirable mm. But that's just the way that this is this kind of conversation goes around. So, you know, think like looking at this in a little bit more of a holistic way is really, you know, you really don't want to conflate like these two things that you are this thing, because that sort of suggests a sort of permanence, whereas, you know, you could have substance abuse substance abuse issues at one point but you can also recover and become rehabilitated and live a long healthy happy life and in that case like do you still say like this person is this thing i don't think so amy right? i like, so i, I so appreciate the spirit of your comment i know you guys have to go i know doc's got a got a hard out i'm i am i, I don't mean to cut you off you have teed no, up so okay. many important things for our conversations dr fiona matatal amy langer thank you so much for doing this but you have my ultimate respect 
Thank you for having Good stuff. Amy touches on something that I've been thinking about talking about on the show for a while. And uh, Sarah, I haven't even talked to you about it. So this will be news to you. But um, do you know who Jimmy Hayes is? They called him Broadway, uh, the former National Hockey League player who died um, maybe a month ago. No. Something like that. No, I don't know who that is. Um, he was he was found dead. A popular guy, like a p- popular in the room, popular on the uh, on the uh, Missing Curfew podcast. Where they call him Broadway, and and uh, just a beloved guy. The Hayes family in Boston is like a huge family in, in the Boston or Massachusetts hockey circles. His older brother Kevin is a star currently uh, for the for the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, he was found dead. He's the he's a young dad, uh, a husband. And um, I guess, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. But when you hear of a sudden death, um, you know, I've lost a friend suddenly with with no it was a medical incident. It was a a brain aneurysm. It can happen. But typically you think uh, either an overdose or a death by suicide. Right. Like that's what you think just when you don't have any background information. And I know that a lot of people as the hockey world mourned the loss of Jimmy Hayes. A lot of people were wondering, like, what happened? And the autopsy finally came out and um, it it was proven that he he uh, he overdosed. And um, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm not really going to get into the autopsy and I'm not a physician and everything. But the Boston Globe, his hometown paper, reported on it and they quoted his brother, Kevin. And uh, again, let me be clear. I do. I am not piling on his brother. I'm the furthest thing from piling on his brother, furthest away from piling on his family. But I want to have these conversations in the open. And I think it's so important. And I don't have the inner. I'm freewheeling now. I did not plan on talking about this, but inspired by what Amy was talking about with regards to drug and alcohol use and how we stigmatize things and how we characterize people. Someone is something versus someone experiences something. There was a quote. Kevin Hayes be obviously devastated, lost his brother talking about his brother and he said something along the lines of and i'm going to use a word that people don't like a word that people don't prefer but he said i just want people to know that he wasn't some sort of junkie he was a beloved guy he was doing amazing things he was a wonderful guy and that just jumped that slapped me in the face when i read that quote every person Who's 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 using drug? I mean, we have an opioid epidemic. We have a crisis in Canada right now. It is our other health crisis. I mean, you look at deaths by COVID-19. It's like it's not really productive. I don't think other than a perspective check, but it's important to recognize that if COVID-19 had not taken a stranglehold on the news cycle over the past couple of years, we would be talking so much more about this opioid crisis. And deaths by overdose in Canada and the United States and around the world and fentanyl and car fentanyl and the fact that emergency responders are showing up. A firefighter told me this is from the horse's mouth that they on, on, a, on a 10 to 14 hour shift will show up to at least 10 overdoses every shift. I mean, people are out there on their own. People are people are, are, are carrying kits in the naloxone kits in their purses and in their handbags because they never know when they may be called into action and have to save someone's life and i don't think that i'm blowing any of this out of proportion the numbers support it hundreds thousands of canadians are dying every year from this overdose crisis they are all all of these deaths and all of the people whose lives are saved by a shot of naloxone which doesn't fix everything by the way they are all people 
with value and worth and stories and experiences that put them into the position or contributed to them being where they are right now. And the death of Jimmy Hayes is tragic. It's horrible. So is every other death due to overdose. And I just it just it broke my heart to see that clip and to the Boston Globe reporter to include it in the story as though it was some sort of a profound statement that I just want people to remember that he's not like all the other people that died by overdose. I, I just I had to read it twice. I mean, the, I feel like this is something that we need to really focus on and. You know, the fact of the matter is when we're talking about residential schools as well and when we're talking about the number of people whose lives were changed forever, the generations that were harmed because of the, the, the generational impacts of residential schools, if, if nothing else, we look at our, the, the proportions, uh, the ratios rather of indigenous people, both experiencing life on the streets and incarcerated in Canada in the in the justices in the, the legal system it is disproportionately indigenous and these people are need to be recipients if I may of much more compassion and understanding and that starts with people like me that have a platform and a voice in trying to better understand and change our views who will ever forget that letter I mean the hardcore real talkers that listen to every single show and hear all the emails from that firefighter who wrote in several months ago talking about how his experience has his perspective has changed so much encountering indigenous people through the course of his uh, daily routine or his, his professional career as a, as a first responder and how the, the 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 enlightenment, I suppose, or the realizations that he's made based on conversations around these unmarked grave outside former residential schools has totally transformed his perspective. And I just think that it's something really we need to think about this more often. We need to have more gutsy conversations. I can see our live chat right now is, I mean, Kim's saying she's got a naloxone kit in her purse. People are talking about we need to talk about head injuries and how that changes people's lives and changes the brain and dependency on, on substances. Naloxone on the front lines. An audience member here says, please call it drug poisoning as opposed to an overdose. I'll read up on that and try to better understand that. Language is so important. I think when we talk about and use the word junkie. I mean, that's somebody that is, I'm, I'm thinking of like, what, what would I think of when I hear that word? Right. There, there's a lot of drug use. It does like, even if he was a junkie, but even still, I mean like the phrase just will sear into people. Fair enough. But I think to that point, even if he was still deserving of compassion still deserving of uh, remembrance still deserving of resources to deal with what they're they're trying to process and metabolize um, psychologically to to then use drugs um, to try to self-medicate yeah there's something under there so to me I'm kind of like even if he was a junkie and even for those folks that are quote-unquote a junkie um that does not preclude them from deserving of compassion and resources. Joanne says we're so good at judging people where they are 
rather than having empathy and compassion with regards to where they started. And many addictions are a result of childhood trauma and it's heartbreaking. Scott says Tom Petty was trying to manage pain and overdosed on fentanyl like it's easy to overdose on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to reflect on your comments and your emails. I would love to hear from those of you that this is resonating with. Uh, again, obviously, I mean, no disrespect. I think that's clear to the Hayes family. I just thought that this is an opportunity for us to have real conversations. You can expect conversations like this on this show. Deal. We're going to move on. We have an amazing opportunity to talk to a Canadian Olympian, uh, a filmmaker that is uh, telling her story, a new film, Precious Leader Women, coming up in just a moment. Right now, I want to remind you about the resources available at granddog.ca. All you dog lovers out there, did you know that there are some pretty easy ways to tell whether or not your dog is experiencing a food allergy? To determine whether or not raw food might be a great move for your dog, or even better yet, if you might be able to supplement what you're feeding your four-legged family members. You know, there's always those cute pups that have three legs and like make it go there, or they have the two legs and then like the little wheelie back that's been built for them. Seems like it's always dachshunds on the uh, on the wheelie trailers. Well, yeah, and corgis—they the long corgis, the long spines, yeah, right? They have—they're uh, prone to yeah. spinal injury. Yeah, spinal injury. So maybe I should, maybe I should just say your furry family members. Then the cats are going to want in on this. Quality raw food from Grand Dog Essentials. Some amazing resources outside just the food. You can learn more about nutrition from their talented team at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order. They'll deliver to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and in certain locations in Central Alberta. You can join their mailing list for exclusive discounts. Also wanted to give a big shout-out to the team at Eden Landscaping. I see that I've got a text on my personal phone. From the team at Eden Landscaping, I didn't check my phone because I've been mean, fascinated by Amy and Dr. Fiona, and I haven't been. But but the team at Eden Landscaping says you had Donovan working on the actor earlier today. They said uh, this is a hilarious story about him, and and they said you can you can use our ad read to get the story out. And I said, well, I'll take you up on that. Said back in the day, Donovan working used to fill in for sick staff a couple of days at the Southside Sport Check as a buddy or a roommate or something of his was a GM of that location. And I was running the tech shop and we didn't get much done due to the amount of laughter over those two days. We'll never forget it. We wish him the best on his musical. Jason Kenny's hot boy summer. We already have our tickets says the team at Eden landscaping. And should he ever find he needs a bigger deck to serve his needs? We can help them with that. They can make all of your landscaping dreams come true, whether you're a celebrated improvisational actor or not. You can find out more about what they do at Eden Landscaping by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. All right, let's get to this. I, I, I wish, I wish I could have been at the Banff Mountain Film Festival to check out the world premiere of a new film, not just about snowboarding. That's The Hook. What about so much more? Precious Leader Woman is the story of pro snowboarder Spencer O'Brien, a two-time world champion, a six-time X Games medalist, a two-time Olympian for Team Canada. The story is told by award-winning Australian director Cassie DeCalling, both of them kind enough to join us this morning live on the show. Spencer, Cassie, thank you so much for making time for us and welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much for having us. Spencer, this must be obviously a unique honor. You're used to the spotlight, X Games, Olympic Games, World Championships. Obviously, you've, you've ridden at the highest level, but to have a film uh, getting into your story must must be an entirely different experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of coming from the background that I do, I, I thought I was prepared for everything. And I thought a lot of my story was already out there in the world. Uh, but I quickly realized that uh, that wasn't the case. And um, Cassie really told a story that I could never have foreseen when we first started this process. And yeah, just really grateful that it's out in the world now and we're all finished. Cassie, what was it that drew an Australian filmmaker to tell the story of a Canadian snowboarding champion? Uh, yeah, I kind of, I came across Spencer like many, many years ago. Um, she was like always on my radar as like a badass snowboarder in a really male dominated sport. So um, it was just ironic that I moved to Vancouver and um, I went to Spencer's hometown, which is in Alert Bay. And I came across um, a little photo of her and I was like, whoa, Spencer O'Brien, she's from Alert Bay. Oh, I should contact her. And yeah, then the next thing was like, hey, yeah, we're like all in touch and we're making a movie. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, your world premiere at the, the, the Banff Mountain Film Festival. This is going to screen virtually through the month of December at the Whistler Film Festival, which is, has got to be exciting. Um, Spencer, my understanding, I haven't had a chance to see the film yet. I can't wait to see it. I'll watch it December 1st when it becomes available for, for live streaming. But a lot of this has to do with your heritage, or at least there's an interesting angle here. Your Haida heritage, is that correct? Um, yeah, I'm Haida and Kwakwakiwak on my mother's side. Um, and yeah, kind of as we started to tell the story, we realized how intertwined my career and my journey with reconnecting to my culture um, is and has been. And uh, yeah, it ended up uh, being a lot about um, my journey to reconnect with that culture and my family and yeah, those parts of myself that I had kind of ignored throughout my snowboard career. Hmm. What, do you, what do you mean when you, when you talk about reconnecting uh, with your culture or, or your heritage? What what led to that? What, what was that so-called tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell might say? Um, I mean, I think for me, um, it was after the 2014 Olympics. Um, I had a pretty, I was a medal favorite going into those games and kind of had some health issues leading up to them and ended up having a very disappointing result. Um, and I ended up going back to Alert Bay for the first time in many, many years. And just the way that the community embraced me, um, not only like as part of their community coming home, but also in a cultural way, um, they held a ceremony for me in the big house. And it was just, yeah, so empowering and special to be, you know, enveloped in that culture in such a beautiful and beautiful way after such like a heartbreaking defeat. So I think for me, that was like a really big moment where I was like, how have I ignored this for so long? And I need to begin to make space for it in my life again. Can we can we talk about the health issue? I think it's well documented that that uh, right around that time of those 2014 Sochi Games, you were diagnosed diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which could obviously be problematic for a, an elite performance athlete. Uh, how does cultural heritage allow one or, or pave the way for one to to address a health issue like that? Um. Well, yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed with, with RA, which, um, yeah, is a pretty debilitating disease um, for anyone, never mind when you compete in an action sport. And I've been very lucky um, to have had incredible doctors and to have been able to find um, medication that works for me. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, RA and many autoimmune diseases actually are very common, um, more so in First Nations communities. Um, so that's something that I've, you know, I work a lot with um, Arthritis Research Canada, and they do a lot of research in First Nations communities to try to help better understand why um, that group of people is more susceptible to these diseases. What was it like for you, uh, Cassie, as a storyteller <laughs> Um, to, to be able to, I mean, you've obviously got a high profile subject here. Um, and, and, and you can, I mean, the, first of all, as, as a filmmaker, the visual elements, incredible, right. To, to, but, but to be able to follow along with Spencer, um, as she, as she reconnects with this culture must've been a special experience for a storyteller. Yeah, it was overwhelming in a, in a lot of ways. Like, um, I guess I didn't really know what was going to happen. There's like a lot of the elements that I did know had like kind of had planned, but I had no idea how powerful like a lot of the epiphanies I think that happened across the duration of filming would be or and how that would like um, impact Spencer and Spencer's family and um, like especially like going to Haida Gwaii. Um, I didn't initially didn't feel like it was like something we absolutely needed to do and and i don't know we were running tight on money so i was like maybe we could just interview the elders via zoom or something like that and like spencer was like no we really should go and then we went to Haida Gwaii and it was just like phenomenal like seeing spencer you know uh harvesting bark with her younger niece Kuster, and then spencer got her name which is the name of the film precious leader mm-hmm. woman which she had received sorry in 2018 but um, one of the elders, Vern Williams, had written a song for Spencer and sang that to her, and it was just incredibly, like, moving. And I, yeah, it was just, yeah, beyond storytelling in a way. <laughs> Spencer, what's that? What's that experience like to be? Uh, I have no frame of reference, but to be given a name, um, precious leader woman. Uh, c- can you provide some insight into that? I mean, obviously, a powerful mm-hmm. experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you talk about tipping points, that was another one for me was, you know, being able to go back to Haida Gwaii for the first time in 2018 and meet my family there. And I, I just had this overwhelming feeling of like I had been there before. I've never, I've traveled the entire world and I've never felt that anywhere else. Um, but then on top of that, Leona, who's the matriarch of my clan in Haida Gwaii, uh, she, she gave all of my family names on that trip. Um, and the names are really important. They're generational, so they, they're always passed down within the same family. And multiple people in the same family can hold the same name um, because uh, they basically give you a name based on your characteristics and the aura you project. Um, and for me, our, because my lineage up there was a little broken and um, the last relative I've had, I had that lived there full time was my great-grandmother. Um, we didn't have a ton of names left recorded. Um, so Leona actually chose to make me a new name. Um, and that name is Precious Leader Woman. It's Kul Jad Kuyas in Haida. Um, and yeah, I think for me, just being given that honor of, of, first of all, just receiving a name and secondly, having the matriarch of our family believe that I was worthy of a name like that uh, was really, really powerful. And, and yeah, just again, one of those tipping points in my life. Can I ask you, Spencer, I've, I've got an interesting comment here. 
Um, I guess it's a it's a question disguised as a comment from Mark, who's watching us, in fact, from from another Olympic city, from Salt Lake City. Uh, He says, you know, it's been really tricky for me to try and have my kids and my partner embrace their indigenous heritage. There's a lot of stigma associated. Did you experience that? You're nodding your head. Um, Yeah, I mean, I know that's a really big thing that people experience. And I think it, it makes a lot of people shy away from their culture and shy away from wanting to be a part of it. I know that was a something for me. And it was a really interesting thing for me because I'm, I'm Irish on my dad's side. Um, and I think outwardly, most people don't, don't know that I'm first nations. Um, so I kind of got a front row seat to listening to people talk about those stereotypes and talk about those stigmas um because they didn't realize that they were talking about me um which can be really hard and so for me as a young person i i didn't want to tell people that i was indigenous i didn't want to you know become more ingrained in that culture um but it's been really powerful to see the shifts in society that have happened in the last couple of years especially and i think it's opening a lot a lot of doors for people who feel like like mark mark's family um and yeah, I really hope that this film can be a story to inspire people like that, because that's how I felt a lot of my life. Hmm. Uh, beautiful comment here from Kim, who says, this is lovely. Uh, she says, I've, I've been to Yukululit and uh, Tofino and says this Haida Gwaii, the, the culture is, is so very special. Um, she says, I, I'd love to see more of that region. Uh, if you're not sure if you're spiritual, says Kim, go there. Uh, Cassie, did you experience that? Uh, you know, I... Um, I- I never considered myself a spiritual person and actually spending time with Spencer's sister was really interesting. She's quite, she's, she's spiritual and she's very connected to her culture and her, and the land and, and, and um, the motifs, the, the totems and everything that encompasses it. And, and, and she has an incredible story herself and spending more and more time with her made me realize like some of it's not necessarily being attached to one certain thing, but sometimes it can be like just being spiritual inwards and like she does smudging. And since then I've been sort of just like, maybe sometimes I'll light a candle and just say like, a, a like a piece of gratitude to myself and, hmm. um, you know, not to like, uh, take away from somebody else's religion, but, but I think that there is a lot to say, especially with mental health and stuff of just like spending of time looking inwards or like giving yourself some kind of prayer. It doesn't need to be attached to something always. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. I wouldn't consider. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I see it. Well, I see a huge I, I feel like there's a Grand Canyon between spirituality and religion. And uh, it, we can get into that some other time if anybody feels like it. But, yeah, I think I think you don't have to you don't have to. I guarantee you, you don't have to be religious to, to be spiritual for sure. Um, Spencer, you so you do a ton of work. You do climate advocacy with a group called POW. I love the name. Uh, any, any, any winter sport enthusiast can connect with that. Protect our winters. Uh, what it stands for. Nike N7. You're an indigenous sport life academy advocate. Women's Sports Foundation. How has has your recent journey, if at all, uh, impacted maybe how you how you view yourself or how you perceive yourself or even what people are telling you how they perceive you as a Canadian athlete an elite Canadian championship level athlete with indigenous heritage and, and ties to one of the most beautiful cultures uh, on planet Earth has it has it changed things for you how you view yourself or how others view you um, I think well yeah I can only really speak to how like I guess I view myself but 
I guess I just, especially through the process of making the film, I feel a lot more comfortable identifying as an Indigenous woman. Um, I feel a lot more like grounded in that. Uh, I think when I first started going to the Olympics, that became a really big talking point, which wasn't before. Um, you know, no one ever brought up my my heritage when I was just going to the X Games, and then once I started going to the Olympics, it was a really big deal. Um, and yeah, I felt like a little bit like a fraud or an imposter, I guess, because I, I couldn't answer a lot of the questions that I was being asked. And all of a sudden, the world was identifying me as this this, this thing that I that I hadn't really connected to yet, and I hadn't really found a way to identify myself to yet. So it's been a really cool journey. Um, and it just feels really good to now be grounded in, in who I am and, and really understand where I come from. And I'm still learning and I'm still evolving every day, but it's a really powerful thing to, to become grounded in that, I think. I think I, I, we've all got to be always learning. I mean, I just think it's a beautiful thing. And I can't wait to see this film. It's, it's somewhat unusual for me to, to interview a filmmaker and the subject <laughs> of a documentary having not seen it. But I'm really excited to see it now, even more so than I was 20 minutes ago, which says a lot because uh, I love to ride. I ride as much as I can, Spencer. Can I ask just out of a personal curiosity? I don't know how significant the question may be, uh, but Santa, if you can load up that backcountry photo. there's uh, So I've, I've been doing some catboarding over the past few years, and obviously it's like surreal. Uh, my understanding is that you've been doing a, a little bit more backcountry riding. Uh, can you tell us a bit about it? Just This is such a selfish question on my part. Um, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been really fun. I'm kind of, I've, uh, moved on from competition and through this film focused my entire season on riding backcountry and powder. And, um, yeah, it's been incredible. It's, um, I think one of the best feelings in the world, never mind just in snowboarding, um, never gotten the chance to get in a cat or a helicopter. I highly suggest it. Spencer, um, maybe or if, even just go for a slipboard. Yeah, I was gonna say if I can. Yeah, that's my sister's deal. Uh, if maybe if I put it out into the universe, maybe someday it'll happen. I would love to wind up in a cat with you sometime. Who knows? Yes, you could you, you you could teach me a million things, Cassie. You could come along and, and film the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah, invited? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, congratulations to the both of you. Uh, PreciousLeaderWoman.com is where you can learn more about this film. Uh, just had its world premiere, as mentioned, at the celebrated Banff Mountain Film Festival. It'll screen virtually December 1st through the 31st at the Whistler Film Festival, and you can check that out at WhistlerFilmFestival.com. The film is put together uh, by award-winning Australian director Cassie DeCalling, and the star of the film is Canadian uh, champion snowboarder Spencer O'Brien. Thanks for your time, and Thanks for joining us on Real Talk. Thank you so much for having us. Very cool stuff. There's something about backcountry. So I'm I'm not going to go off on it. We've already spent a lot of time talking about sport today. I'm not sure if you heard, but Conor McDavid scored a goal. Okay. Oh, my God. But you know what winter also means? And this is why I'm totally okay. I was saying this to Wyatt Rudy, our six-year-old, the other day. He was he was a little bit. I don't know if I say sad, but he was disappointed that wind had swept through our street as it did, as it does, and relieved all of these majestic elm trees of all of their leaves. Mm. And fall, the beautiful colors of fall, uh, ended a little too quickly for his liking. And I told him that I shared the same sentiment. I said, but the sooner we get rid of all that and get our first snowfall, the sooner the outdoor wrinkle freeze, the sooner we can hit the mountains, go snowboarding, and then, of course, all of the wonder that comes with winter. 
I was feeling the exact same way. I was like, oh, no, it's getting colder. And then I was like, oh, but wait. Yes. I get to go cross-country skiing. Yeah. I cannot wait. Are you a wait. big cross-country skiing enthusiast? Huge. Really? Because you and I have not known each other through a winter. You joined our team in like April, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, oh, I was sad to cool. have to hang up the skis uh, in the spring. I was super bummed when things started melting. So now I'm like, oh, right. Right. I have a thing. I have a thing that I love to do. I can't wait. The results of our question of the week coming up in just a moment. I have a confession I would like to make. Um, I grossly underestimated what goes into cross-country skiing. Like, I just, I always thought it was kind of like the walk in the park type activity. I'm not talking about, like, biathletes and the people in the Olympics, but I sort of thought, like, cross-country skiing was a bit of a, you know, until I tried it. Wow. It's, like, it's, that's the full body exercise. It's like the elliptical. Like, you're on the elliptical. But... You're actually doing the thing. And I feel somewhat athletic, like ish. Like I'm like, I'm, I can find my way around a sport. I'm not saying I'm the greatest, but I'm, yeah, you know, and, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, to, to not look like a complete fool. Well, the thing that I love about it is, and like, I'm so like hook, line and sinker on it. So like, pardon me You're being super biased, but I feel like it, it goes with any kind of, so if you want to not go as hard, you don't need to. And if you really want to give her, yeah. you can also do that. Um, yeah, I love it. Don't let, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Okay. Sam, do you have like a, is there like a winter activity that just really just you, you get jazzed about? I, I think I'll, I'll round out the three of us because because you ride Sarah cross country skis and I love downhill skiing. Yeah. Downhill skiing is is my jam. You're a two planker, eh, pal? Absolutely. Yeah. Like born born to ride the uh, born to ride the uh, the skis. I was gonna say the, the rails. I don't know why that's weird. Ride the rails. Um, yeah, yeah, that's but, kind <laughs> of like a, well, I mean the fr- freestyle skiing with regards to like yeah. the, the parks um, skiing. Never tried it. Experienced a real resurgence. I was a, 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 a competitive mogul skier in high school, and what? then yeah, and then I moved into snowboarding. Like when I was I was twenty one, I got my first snowboard. I, I, how do you have functioning knees well, after competitive mogul skiing? Yeah, barely like, that do. Just blows my mind. Love every time. Mogul skiing. I was never particularly good. I mean, I was better than the average person, but not as good as the people that went on to have careers. You know what I mean? I was in that middle ground. So, uh, but yeah, Lisa says, I'm looking forward to skating. Uh, It was a great thing to relearn last year after way more years away than I can even think. Lisa, well done. Love it. Um, Meanwhile, Yulian says, snow can bite my actual ass. I hate being cold, (laughs) which is fair. I totally agree. I hate being cold. That's like I'm always cold as evidenced by my toque today. Yeah. Um, but I've I've always heard people say there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just a, such a thing as bad clothing. Well, I thought you were going to say bad attitudes. Well, there's that too. But, but yeah, yeah you, like you, there's no such thing as bad weather. Just bad clothes. So absolutely. just get dressed for it. The technology in winter clothing now is amazing. Um I'm so excited. We're going to be uh, working with Campers Village again a little later on this week. I know. I didn't even. T- I haven't told you guys that. There's so many things I haven't told you. They're coming back. McBean camera too. Uh, Shalane says, Jespo, you almost won an entire segment without talking about the goal. Not that I'm complaining. And Debbie, because we keep it real here, says backcountry skiing and boarding. I'm not a fan. It can be pretty elitist and not environmentally friendly at all. Fair comment, Debbie. People running choppers up and down a mountain. Uh, it's it's not a top priority. The world would continue to function if there was no hella skiing. Um, and with regards to the elitism, I guess everything's relative um, for us to make it happen. We save up all year long. And uh, I guess it's just a question of priorities. But I absolutely recognize what you're saying. We recognize there have been barriers to sport. 
I look back to our Real Talk roundtable around barriers in sport from a few months ago, uh, which actually prompted something uh, that we've done that we've not yet talked about because we're going to wait to unveil it. But th- that that roundtable did something within our company. And we took a step forward to put our money where our mouth is because we think access to sport is really important. And so we'll talk about that more in days and weeks and months to come. It's, it's on the organization to make the announcement, not us. Right now, why don't I mention how excited we are to partner with the teams at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We wouldn't be able to share the love and support community initiatives if we didn't have people supporting what we're doing. Mark, Michelle, Michael. The owners at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road want us to remind you that real talkers, you want to experience something a little spicy? The Flamethrower Burger is back, 100% all beef patty topped with their fiery flamethrower sauce, pepper jack cheese, jalapeno bacon, tomato, and crisp lettuce served on that warm toasted Dairy Queen bun. And if your tongue's on fire, you need something to put it out with. The new sea salt toffee fudge blizzard. You may want to check it out. Sea salt toffee fudge blizzard. Are you kidding me? How many of these am I allowed to have a week? Three, maybe four max. And the Oreo mocha fudge blizzard with the real Oreo cookie pieces, choco chunks and coffee blended with their world famous soft serve to blizzard perfection at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also a huge shout out to our friends at Athabasca University. If you're looking to change it up a little, switch it up, maybe learn a little bit more about something like like AI. How much do you know about machine learning? You want to know more about what people are talking about when they're talking about where industry and investment is going, where the new job market's really opening up? Athabasca University has a course for that. It's Canada's online university with world-class accredited, that's a key word, accredited online programs and courses. You can learn more about it. Learn at your own pace at your convenience at athabascau.ca. Before we sign off today, our friends at Y Station, they're our official research and strategy partners, and every week they present our question of the week. And I want to take you to our website really quick to tee up this week's question. If you go to ryanjesperson.com, there it is right at the top banner, Q-O-T-W. That's our question of the week on November 11th. This week on Thursday, we mark Remembrance Day with a special episode here on Real Talk. It's obviously an important day to reflect on sacrifices made by those who came before us, those sacrifices still being made by people in uniform across the country and around the world. And this week, we want to learn more about what Remembrance Day means to you, how our understanding of Remembrance Day is changing, if it is, and how you feel about Canada's military as an institution today. Today, in fact, November 8th, as we speak this Monday, is Indigenous Veterans Day. And we honor those Indigenous people in Canada who have served on home soil and abroad last week's question of the week was on neurodivergence and i'm so grateful we said it at the beginning of the week hoyles as soon as i said it i thought i shouldn't have said that i said chris and his team at y station and ann and emily and everybody over there and 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 our team we kind of suspected there might be lower engagement on this because not everyone connects with neurodivergence not everyone understands it it may not be perceived to be relevant to anybody else but the numbers were still pretty great More than 500 people took part in our survey, which is super encouraging to me, and I'm really grateful for it. And right now, we want to dig into it. So this, courtesy of our friends, our partners at Y Station, here's some of the highlights of last week's question of the week. Get this, 84% of respondents believed neurodivergence means, and we wanted to have you have an opportunity to define it or tell us what you understand it to mean. We didn't want to prescribe that upon you. 84% of you believed that neurodivergence means people whose brains function a little bit different 
than what is considered to be so-called normal. 84% of you believed it to be that. 61% of Real Talkers polled identify as or are neurodivergent themselves or have a family member who is. In other words, more than half can relate. 25%, one in four of neurodivergent real talkers are willing to discuss it openly. One in four are willing to discuss it openly. 21% will discuss it if specifically asked. In other words, the door has to open or you have to be, I guess, if I can say it in a way, put on the spot. And this is another interesting statistic along those lines. 2% of you, when we take a look at the 25 and then the 21%, 2% of neurodivergent real talkers prefer to keep it between yourselves and your doctors. Understandable. I mean, I say understandable. That's a throwaway word. I can't say it's understandable because I don't identify, but, but this helps me understand it. So thank you. And here's another key observation taken away from the team at Y Station. Of those of you not willing to openly share about your neurodivergence, why? 28% of you, almost one in three, felt that it would affect your career. 18%, just under one in five of you, feel it would affect your relationships, which is pretty interesting stuff. You were generally pretty forthcoming about the neurodiverse in your lives. Even 43% of you told us you thought that you or a family member might be diagnosed in future, which we thought was really interesting. Sarah, I thought that that went along the lines of a lot of the feedback that we had following our ADHD awareness panel, that Real Talk Roundtable a few weeks ago. A lot of people wrote in and said there were things that were discussed there that I connected with that, that, that may explain some of my experiences in life. This had not been on my radar before. Yeah. And I think with that conversation, the idea was like, oh, ADHD is a childhood experience. It's not actually something that, you know, there is this assumption that people can grow out of it. And as we heard on the roundtable from a qualified medical professional, not the case. Uh, it continues and if there is adult ADHD. So being like, oh, so this is what maybe has followed me through my life. And uh, there, there are answers and there are, there's help and support for it. So yeah. exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. Um, we asked you in order to not perpetuate stigma and to be respectful. I love how the team at Y Station handled this. They said we want to be accurate and complete on this survey. What did we get wrong? And what should we think about when putting these results together? One of you said it might have helped a lot if you gave the definition of the word or at least the context you're inquiring about. It's hard to know how to answer some of the questions without a frame of reference. Another said neurodivergent is like tall. It doesn't have a border. <laughs> it's a feature of everyone in different degrees, not a separate category of people. We should be discussing neurodivergence as a feature of humanity, not as a quality of individuals. We're a group and we vary in these ways. How do we deal with that? Not these people are different. How do they deal? I love that comment. One of you said you use the word normal instead of the word typical. What's normal? It comes from the word norm. So average, but it stigmatizes people to have them feel not normal. Typical is the more appropriate vernacular. And I appreciate you asking this question. I don't know if there's a more thoughtful audience. I mean, I know we keep saying this. I really appreciate it. 
Another says, I do want to point out that similar to rhetoric around mental illness in general, neurodiversity runs the risk of being overused or minimized through offhand references in daily life. For example, somebody who simply likes being organized is oftentimes referred to as OCD, despite having no significant life impairments. This kind of rhetoric minimizes and downplays the severity of mental illness. Someone with OCD is literally unable to function normally and tossing around, quote, I'm so OCD is insulting. You know, another word, I'll use it to get to the point, but don't use it in everyday life. You know what? Another one. I don't know about you guys. You don't have to get called to the carpet here. I'll say it. Used to throw away the word schizo. Right. That person is schizo until you meet somebody or know somebody or learn a little bit more or walk a mile in the shoes of somebody who li- lives with and deals with schizophrenia. And, and then you stop saying that pretty quickly. I also, you know, like, that's crazy. I actually have eliminated that or have attempted to eliminate yeah. it from my my vocabulary. So I, I say it's wild or I say that's bananas. That's Leah McRory <laughs> that joined us on the show on January 5th. And I know the date. Because January 4th was my big Aloha Gate rant. I think still the most downloaded Real Talk episode in history. She was on the next day because she reached out to us in a spirit of, uh, let me just say in the proper spirit. But she was like, I, I said at the time, I said, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I quoted the Zoolander movie. And she was like, can we talk about that? Can we talk about ableist language? And it really made an impact on me. And now when I'm talking to Wyatt, when I see something, it, it's I've just swapped in the word wild. Like, did you see that? You know, did you see that those Canadian snowboarders off the slope style? That is wild. We asked you when you think of the word uh, neurodivergent, what do you think of? And one of you said, uh, you know, to either have a learning disability that's different from others or a way of communicating that's different from others. It it could be tone. It could be uh, sort of sort of passive aggressive tendency or even detecting sarcasm. Another one of you said this is a really interesting question you're asking us because it helps us understand that each of us has a different perspective on darn near everything. It used to be right and left sided brains that were studied. Remember that and how each of them influenced how we thought and behaved and saw the world. But now there are even more ways to break it down, which I thought was just amazing. Uh, We asked you what condition best describes you or your family members neurodivergence. Get this all of you. I mean, ADHD, anxiety, depression, autism, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, bipolar disorder, dyslexia. An unlisted or not listed chronic mental health condition, borderline personality disorder, all these uh, above 10 percent, 52 percent depression, 66 percent anxiety, almost 70 percent ADHD. Also noted uh, dyspraxia, epilepsy, Tourette syndrome, Down syndrome. Obviously, a lot to think about and discuss and learn more about other ones that were noted non autistic complex motor stereotypes stereotypy 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 i'm not a doctor clearly panic disorder agoraphobia chronic ptsd parkinson's migraines sensory processing disorder an acquired brain injury mtbi asperger's schizophrenia said the person who included schizophrenia quote i'm surprised you didn't include this serious illness that impacts at least one percent of the population and their families fair comment We don't ever ask you to take it easy on us in your comments. We want to be real. We want our feet held to the fire. We want the show to be the best it can be. We asked you what are some of the most misunderstood components of you or your family members neurodivergence. One of you said, I think that people view these neurodivergences as things to fix. 
And it's important to receive supports and treatments that are appropriate. But I wish people wouldn't have the expectation that I'm going to become, quote, normal one day. I don't want to be normal. I would like to be well while being myself. How great is that? Right? My head just exploded. Right? Chris was telling me I actually ran into Chris, Chris Anderson, chief strategist at Y Station by fluke at the dog park over the weekend. And we were talking a little bit about this and. He communicated that essentially for him, this this exercise was, was almost a bit of an honor for their team to have people leaving such open and enlightening comments. Another one of you said uh, how exhausting it is to exist in a society that's not set up for you in any way. How much harder my loved one's brain has to work in order to do the same skills that everybody else has. He has this amazing creative side that does not get a chance to be used because all of his brain energy is utilized to just survive the day at school. He could offer so many ideas of how to do things better or different if he wasn't so tired having to exist in a normative world. I'm getting chills. And another one of you says it's not a constant work in progress for this person, this loved one of mine, when it comes to learning what works one day may not work the next once they do something or learn something that it will stay with them. Other one of you, uh, ones of you talked about feeling slow or outcasted in traditional learning environments. When you said my son's autism has definitely been challenging to navigate, but as his parents, it's up to us to advocate for him in all facets of life. So he's not marginalized. Another one of you said, it's impacted my life negatively and positively. The creativity can be breathtaking. The negativity is that you're sometimes pulled into manufactured BS, and it's not easy. How about this? Being a teacher with a learning disability has made my partner exceptional at her job. She's much better equipped to help neurodivergent students learn and to help their families navigate the often confusing resources available to them. Amazing stuff. And we asked what are the main reasons you wouldn't or may not openly share about your neurodivergence. One of you said the only area I'm uncomfortable talking about is with my employers and my customers everywhere else. I'm happy to have the conversation to reduce the lack of knowledge or the stigma. Another one of you said I'm still figuring out myself and I don't feel like I know enough about it or myself yet to talk about it. How about this? I am a woman of color. I'm already marginalized or tokenized, and I'm not interested in giving them more fuel. These are perspectives that we're so grateful to have. We asked, is there anything that would make you feel more comfortable about sharing your neurodivergence with a wider group? This one jumped out at me. I would if someone just asked me. Another said, if I felt that people understood that ADHD is a difference as opposed to a deficit, that it enhances some of my abilities as, as much as it diminishes others, I'd be willing to talk about it. Another one of you said stigma is more than just negative insults. It, it also includes unnecessarily tiptoeing around people or coddling them. I am a human. I have agency. Treat me as you would anybody else. Amazing. Our Patreon supporters, those of you that make a contribution to the show and to what we're doing every month, you can learn more at RyanJesperson.com. Just click on the Patreon link. Uh, our Patreon supporters receive the full top line report every single week from the team at Y Station. This week's is amazing. 23 pages of fascinating data beautifully put together by the team at Y Station. And we are grateful for their partnership. And we're sure grateful for those of you that have joined us on our journey, supporting us by way of Patreon, allowing us to continue to grow this show. I didn't mention the team at Westworld Computers yet. 
And so I want to make sure that I do to let you know that we wouldn't be functioning without their contributions, the, the MacBook Pros and the, the iPhone and the iMac and everything that's going on in this studio is a result of them working with us to get the perfect setup. If you go to their website right now, you can shop online. They'll ship anywhere in Canada, westworld.ca is what you're looking for independently family owned for more than 40 years they've got an apple accessories savings page that's constantly changing i thought i'd check in on it today maybe your computer's running fine but your your keyboard could use an upgrade they've got them on special right now and and hey maybe time to upgrade your monitor that lg ultrafine 27 inch or that led monitor 150 bucks off right now for 349 at westworld.ca you can book your service appointments online as well or go see them in person daryl and his team always happy to see you coming up on tomorrow's show i'm very much looking forward to this yeah yeah no we but we go out on that so i'm just mentioning this because we go out on positive reflections so i'm just i'm just but team great job (laughs) amazing job Oh, boy. I kind of wish that that would have been on, on camera four, as we call it, our big studio shot right now, because you both blew back in your chairs and your eyes widened. And yeah, you, my you eyes like, just out of my head. No, I just, I just wanted to mention before we go into Positive Reflections presented by QB Energy, we've got amazing stuff going on, that tomorrow, Dr. Glaukumflachen, did I do that right? Dr. Glaukumflachen, a.k.a. Dr. Will Flannery is going to join us about, uh, he's a comedian and an ophthalmologist about getting the word out about health and the pandemic should be a hilarious conversation. We don't typically say that conversations about the pandemic are going to be hilarious, but I suspect this one's going to be. Plus, vampires for every generation. I have no context. I have no idea what the hell this is about, but I know that it wouldn't be on the show if it wasn't good. And I trust you implicitly, Sarah Hoyles. So we'll hear about this bloody trend from Vampire Prof out of the University of Victoria. Plus your emails. We got some amazing ones about our conversation about the use of alcohol uh, in the workplace one of you in particular i think it was robert i have it yeah it's right in front of me robert uh said ryan your perspective comes from a position of privilege and i said love it i'm gonna read that email on the show and then we got a great email from michael about accents did you see this one he said when i was talking about uh monsieur blanchette and here i go to, but i'm not trying to do it in a mocking way but the leader of the bloc quebecois uh michael said when, when jesperson was quoting him he kind of put on a bit of a well, here i am reading the email i don't want to do that but he's like, he kind of put on like a bit of an accent and Michael's like, I'm, you know, I'm a real talker and, you know, but, but like kind of what the hell kind of thing and done reading it tomorrow. So we're going to get into the mailbag. And uh, of course, whatever else is making news, you know, our team is going to be on it. Now, the team at Kubi Energy, in addition to being fabulous friends of the show, and I keep telling you about the different applications of what they're doing on the sustainable energy front. Uh, we've talked a lot about agriculture recently because that's the one that's really fascinating to me. Uh, more and more farmers, ranchers, producers are looking to Kubi Energy to find solar energy solutions on the farm. You can check out their Instagram at Kubi Energy to learn a little bit more about what they're doing there. Of course, also industrial, commercial and residential applications installed by Tesla certified installers. You can get a free quote today by talking to Jake and his team at Kubi Energy. Each and every Monday, or at least the first day of our broadcast podcast week, the team at Kubi Energy gives us an opportunity to, well, to get the week started off right, on the right foot. These are submissions from you, Real Talkers, to talk at ryanjesperson.com or by using our hashtag RealTalkRJ. It's one of our favorite few minutes of every week. It's Positive Reflections. 
So we got this email from uh, Gunter, and I wanted to read it. He says, although I'm retired, I've been living in Creston, BC. Beautiful. I mean, you want to talk about backcountry and snowboard and mountains, and boy, is Creston ever a beautiful part of the world. He says, I've been here for the last 10 years, but I still love to keep in touch with so, so-called real Albertans like you and who we hear on your show. He says, I, I lived and worked in Calgary for most of my working life, and I always found it hard to get an unbiased view of Alberta politics. That was until Real Talk came along. He says, I especially appreciate the honesty, uh, including your rant on Friday, that one that I think a few people watch, says Gunter. I wish that more Albertans would wake up from their myopia and smell the coffee, says Gunter. Keep up the good work. I think that's a veiled reference to me confessing that we have pretty lousy coffee in studio. I think that that's what Gunter was getting at. Yeah, probably. How about these ones? Uh, we have been in love with, and it's mostly because the animals are okay, but the stories of, of deer and, and moose and other, are they called, uh, are they called un- unguloids? Unguloids? Is that what I'm... Is that... Is it, is it unguloids. I, I don't have a frame of reference I, I think here. That's, I think that's what you yeah. call them. Well, an amazing tweet from a deer that walked into a store in Colorado. I think I need to rephrase that because the tweet was actually not from the deer, but the tweet was about the deer. I'd be more impressed if the deer was sending the tweets than walking into the store. Ungulate is correct, and he was that ungulate was not actually sending that tweet. Okay, the ungulate did not send the tweet. Thank you, Hoyles, for confirming. Uh, this tweeted by Joel Capo, who says this store owner in Colorado, uh, after a deer walked in, gave the, gave that deer some cookies. The deer then left the store and returned half an hour later with her entire family. And you can see this photo. And look at this. Respecting COVID protocols, just only one deer in the store at a time, all the rest of them patiently waiting at the front door. Absolutely amazing. And did we get the moose photos? This is, look at this. A moose? No. Had there been perhaps more reflections on the glass, maybe the moose would not have busted into the school. But check this out. A moose, this is amazing, in in the beautiful city of Saskatoon. Good morning to you, Saskatoon. A moose finding its way into a classroom. Luckily, nobody was injured, except for maybe the moose, with some small scuffs and scrapes. We're told the little guy was injured, reports Pat Dubois. Uh, Breaking through a window will do that. But help was on the way. And the moose was safely extricated from the school and sent back to the wild where it belongs. How beautiful. I love that. My cousin Graham gets a shout out on the show today. Graham is the fifth generation raising the sixth generation of Jesperson dairy farmers at the Glory Hills Dairy just west of Edmonton. As a matter of fact, you turn at the Jesperson farm to get to Friesen Brothers in Stony Plain. But this is not presented by Friesen Brothers. It's presented by Kubi Energy. So I will simply promote Graham's Instagram. He was among those. You know, dairy farmers are up early, right? Always up early. His Instagram at Graham underscore Jesperson shows the northern lights over the Jesperson dairy barns. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. A shout out to the G-man, my cousin Graham, who listens to Real Talk all the time. He tells me about the, the technology in the combines they can stream us live while he's combining it's unbelievable these things these machines are incredible and finally a shout out to tony tony drives a tow truck and this morning our family was in a jam because my wife's jeep wouldn't start and i was in a bit of a rush and i had this battery box to charge it up but guess what the battery box wasn't charged jesperson so we called ama and tony showed up in 28 minutes and when he pulled up, he went, no way. And I went, what? And he went, I stream Real Talk live every day, every morning in the tow truck. And I said, Tony, may I leave you here to handle this so I can get to the studio and get the show ready? And he said, I'll be tuned in. So Tony, driving a tow truck, 
This one's for you. Mad respect. You made my morning in more ways than one. A job well done. You can send us your positive reflections anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We so appreciate it when you do. Make it a great Monday, friends, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.